mercy, look at how the time goes. And welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Uh, Today I have with me my guest, Mr. Jeff Hogue. He is the uh, voice of the History of the Cold War Podcast. How you doing, Jeff? Great, great. How are you doing today, John? I'm hanging in there. It's uh, late in the evening here and it's early in the morning over there. How's things in California? Yeah, things things here in California are pretty good. Um, you know, like I, uh, it's been a little bit colder than usual this year, okay. and you know, it's kind of weird. These past two years, we've gotten a lot of rain, um, and I'm not sh- quite sure if that's because this is the, how the weather's supposed to be or not. <laughs> and when I say that, it's because when I first moved here about 15 years ago or so, because um, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, I. Uh, the weather was really hot all the time and California was actually going through like a once in a 10,000 year drought or something like that. Now, when so you I'm say it was sure hot, when is, you say it yeah. was really hot all the time, what kind of temperatures were we, were you talking about then? All like, it was probably like most days it was like in the low eighties, like on an average day, even in the winter. Okay. And then I remember, especially even the first year I moved here, there were a couple of days in December where it was like a hundred degrees. In December. And in December, it was like 100 degrees. I remember, and the heat would last, like it would start in, like even in into oct- late October, November, we were still getting days in the 90s and the 100s. And then it would kind of, then it would start cooling down in December normally, most years I was here. And then you normally get like January, February, or like normal weathers. But even then, well, for me, it was like 70 something degrees, it would drop down. But by March, it normally would start hitting back up into the 80s. Right. And this year, we've probably so far only had a couple of days that got into the 80s. And it's nice because it's, it's not brutal, but it's, I'm just not used to it now. And I don't, I think it's because, you know, it's not Arizona yet, but it's, <laughs> it was kind of more like Arizona than it is today. And I think it's because of the amount of rain. Now, you're talking about the Los, Ange- Lo- the Los Angeles area, correct? Or, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I live in, uh, I live in, or, uh, just south of Irvine. Okay. So yeah, so roughly the Los Angeles metro area in Orange County. So. I'm, just, I'm just trying to think of that. You know, a hundred degrees in December. Good lord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like I, I had just arrived. I remember I was going for a job interview, and I didn't have a car yet, and I took a bus like up to I forget what it was, it was someplace outside LA to get an interview, and I remember I had a suit on, and I had. I used to wear ties um, I, back when I lived in New York. I had a whole collection of ties, and I continued to wear ties here in California for maybe like a year or two, and then I just gave it up. So now <laughs> I have this closet filled with all these great ties. I just never wear them because collecting dust. <laughs> it's just it's too hot to wear those ties, so I, I don't wear. Well, and especially the nature of my work changed and everything else. But so so in fi- in the fi- last fifteen years, you have noticed a uh, meaningful change in weather. In Southern California, I'd say in the last two years. The last so the, two years, okay. I, the last two years, it's gotten a lot cooler. Yeah. Last year, actually, even maybe three years. Now that I think about it, but especially these last two years have gotten a lot cooler. We've gotten a lot more rain. Um, I, there's a like a trail wilderness behind my house, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a lake, little lake that's there, and. At one point, it dried all the way down to, it was like some program off National Geographic, like it dried all the way down, <laughs> killed all the fish, it like stank, it was Ugh. just, it went all the way down to the mud, and it just like cracked, right, like it was just like desert, yeah. and then it started raining again, and now the lake has like come back, 
and it's like super high. It's like almost because there's like a trail that goes by it. It's yeah. like almost to the trail. So interesting. Yeah. California is just weird. <laughs> it's just uh, wow. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I guess people could say the same thing about the place where I live. You know, I'm here in Norway, and uh, yeah. when, when we lived, we lived up north before, well north of the Arctic Circle, and oh, we wow, had okay. one summer, I believe it was the summer of 2012, I can't remember, I think it was 2012, uh, there was not a single day above 16 degrees Celsius, which is about uh i don't know not even not even 70 degrees fahrenheit and that was unusually cold and there was very little sunlight that year and and, and just strange um so that is i guess that would be no pun intended the polar opposite, opposite yeah. of, of what you guys were I, experiencing in 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 uh in southern california at the time with the extreme heat yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I had one quick question for you because yeah. I wanted to ask you this question. Yeah. Um, so we have a mutual friend who I always, how we start talking, Salve, who lived in America and That's now right. she's kind of goes back and forth. I think her deal is like every 10 years or so she switches up the country. <laughs> but uh, how did you as an American, as an expat end up in, in Norway? Cause most American or expats that you hear about are like in Thailand or the Philippines or someplace yeah. warm. So I was wondering like how you as an American ended up in Norway. Okay. Um, my wife is Norwegian. Um, okay. That's so, a answer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a, that's the short answer. Um, yeah. and then I had a, uh, powerlifting friend when I moved to Chicago, I met, uh, Ed Cohen, anybody in the powerlifting world knows him as the Michael Jordan of powerlifting. He's the top dog okay. and he's, he's a legend and his girlfriend at the time, um, was uh, they're, they're still together but at the time they were just boyfriend and girlfriend uh she's norwegian and her and my wife had known each mm -hmm. other for a, a few decades couple you know 20 years mm -hmm. so she introduced me to my wife who was there on vacation mm -hmm. to visit her this is back mm -hmm. in 90 the late 90s 97 98 something like that and yeah. we ended up dating we got married in 2001 we lived uh in the chicago area for a couple of years and then we ended up moving here wow yeah. okay Long story okay, short, that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot. That makes there's sense. there's a lot of uh, interesting aspects to that story, but uh, that's the short version. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm originally from Ohio, small town Ohio. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now you're you're originally from New York, you said. Yeah. So uh, I'm from Buffalo, New York. Buffalo. Uh, okay. Which yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Buffalo, but we're yes, like, I am. Yeah. On, yeah, we're on the other. You you should be because you're from Ohio. So like yeah, we're on the other end. Yeah. of the state there yeah and uh yeah we're a little bit we have like a little bit different culture than obviously like new york city yeah i uh, my like people yeah because anytime i introduce myself to people most people are like they think new york city right right, right? and it's like it's buffalo is, is very different than new york city and it's like six hours away from new york city i think of buffalo I mean, as uh yeah. the, the slightly shy cousin of new york city <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and especially even people in New York City, like they kind of look down on us because they're like, "Oh, you guys are yeah. are like." And they look at us as like country people, which oh, wow. is ridiculous yeah. to me because it's like we're, we're still a city. We're yeah. just not you. We're, we're not, just we're not, not New like, York City. Yeah, we're just not six million strong, right? Like you know, it's <laughs> you know, you can't. You know, you guys are. It's an impossible yardstick, right? Because it's the biggest city in the country. Yeah. you know, to to judge us against, but. 
Um, yeah, and I think we have a lot more in common with places like uh, Cleveland and um, or Baltimore than we do with obviously New York City. Right. I mean, we're a good sized city, yeah. especially when I was living there. I mean, obviously, we've had a lot of people move away yeah. from Buffalo because of industries. The yeah, 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 that left, yeah. but myself included. Um, yeah, what but, is it that uh, took you out of Buffalo into California, or did you have a stop in between? Uh, so for me, I my brother had come out to California in the early, early 2000s. Like, I think he had moved here in 2002 or something like that. And I was in college at the time. And uh, after I got done with college, I kind of knew I wanted to do something else. I wanted to get out of Buffalo. I didn't see a lot of economic opportunity there. Plus, I was young and I wanted to do something exciting. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of young people just want to move to someplace new. Um, and my, I had come to visit my brother a couple times in California and obviously I, I was really nice. And then, um, I'd always, the, the weird thing is I always had a dream of going to California. Yeah. I was, I, I was, you know, growing up in Buffalo, the cold and snow, that was, you know, the last place I wanted to go to again. It's, uh, it's more of the familiar. So I wanted more of the exotic. So California was the, the exact opposite of that. Um, Plus, it has its own mystique of Hollywood. There's a lot of history here, a very different history than upstate New York. So, well, there's almost um, a, there's almost like a cliche uh, a story of uh, the small town or the smaller town uh, guy or girl yeah. kind of packing up with no contacts in California, especially in Southern California. But they just California, go there yeah. and they try yeah. to get a, get their feet planted and, and get started with something. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty much it. I mean, I literally, like my brother obviously lived out here and I stayed with him for like nine months before I found my own place. But, um, I literally had like $400 maybe, wow. uh, you know, $400 in my, in my bank account. My dad gave me 50 bucks before I left. My brother bought my one way plane ticket and I had two suitcases. That was one one like way plane out. ticket. So that's real okay. commitment yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know, and then at points it, it was real. To put those four, those first four years were probably the hardest years of my life. How so? And, well, because other than my brother, I didn't know anyone. Right? So you so had to so start your social network from scratch. From scratch. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's why I really respect people, or even immigrants who move to different countries, right? Because yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a little bit different because you're lucky. I mean, at least you had your wife to rely on. But I mean, but they have even more of a challenge because they, they don't speak the language, right? Me, at least, I, I had access to the language and I wasn't, you know, things were obviously so different, but you have like no social safety net, right? There's, there, you have no contacts. If something goes wrong, you're 100 reliant, 100%. I mean, again, I had my brother, yeah. but that was it. And so if anything else happened or if he couldn't help me with it, you were, I was basically on my own. But did you and, feel a, did you feel a sense of adventure uh, in the sense that, um, okay, you're coming there with pretty much no money in your pocket, no social network, but you're also coming with a chance to redefine yourself. There were no expectations and, and kind of... <laughs> that is true, yeah. I, I did have a sense of adventure in that, like, I, don't, I think I was just, I was very young. I was very ambitious. How old, I how old were you? I was 22. Okay, so a couple right? years out, of, a few years out of high school then, yeah. Yeah, I was, well, I just graduated from college, right? And I thought I could take on the world. And, you know, because... I was like, well, you know, I got a college degree, but the thing is, I didn't realize is that the school I went to, which was a, a good, like probably one of the best schools in my local area, 
Yeah. People in California had no idea what Niagara University was. Yeah. And yeah. when I said that to them, it was like just saying like, oh, I went to like <laughs> Chickenville University, right? <laughs> yeah. Like people yeah. they're like, what's the, what's the yeah. relevance? Like, I, I, you know, they, they don't know anything about it. What, what's your so, degree in? His, his... Yeah. So my undergrad was in history. Okay. And um, I think that was the other thing is I got a degree in history. I had not really... I think that like a lot of like, you know, when you're young, you know, my brother tried to warn me about some of these things, but it was, you just don't, I grew up a lot during there in those four years too. Sure. I mean, not that I didn't grow up during college or didn't experience things, but like, I guess my expectation was, I think I thought it was going to be a little bit more easier than what it was actually going to be. And because I just expected to move to California, get a good job and like start living my life. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, no man, like you don't have any work experience. You don't have any real <laughs> credentials. You got a degree in history, which is great, but it's not like, you know, it's, it's just like a, it's, it's a, it's a mandatory kind of thing to have a college degree. It's not, it's not a plus of any way, right? Because you're competing against a bunch of other people that have degrees, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so how did you use that degree? Did you get a teaching job or did you have to get a job totally that had nothing to do with history in order to just get started working in California? How, how, how did you get involved in the workforce? Sure. So I got involved in the workforce. So I started applying to a bunch of jobs. Um, I eventually got a job at Target. Because, and I was like, oh my God, like, what the hell? Like, I got a college degree and working at Target <laughs> with a bunch of other people who just got high school degrees. And I apologize if that sounds like condescending. I don't mean it to be. But I, again, at the time, I think I was a little privileged and short sighted. And, you know, I was just like, well, what am I doing? And then I ended yeah. up from there, I got a job at a grocery store. So I was working like these types of jobs that I would have had back in New York. And, you know, it got. And at one point, I was like, well, you know, should I quit and go back home? But then I was like, you know, then why the hell would I do this? Well, there's that word years? quitting. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to quit, right? Yeah. And, and I, you know, so I was just like, I you know, just said to myself, I'm going to get through this. I don't know how yet, but I'm going to get through it. And what happened with me is, wildly enough, I ended up, um, I ended up, I had just uh, just a bunch of little stories, uh, you know, in terms of just events that were pretty wild. I got a corporate job. I got my very first corporate job. I worked in a mail room. And when I was in the mail room, I had these other idiots that I worked with. <laughs> and these guys were just, just like, they're just insane, right? And <laughs> they were just like, we would deliver the mail every day. And these guys were just like, uh, I don't know how to say, it, but they were just sexually harassed, the women that worked in the workplace, right? They would say like, inappropriate things that sounds so like, bold that sounds so bold yeah. that someone kind of at the bottom rung of the corporate structure they're in the mail room but they had yeah. the nerve to actually yeah they would just say these crazy wow. things to these girls and how'd they get away with you that know, they would just get away with it and uh. then i remember you know <laughs> the other wow. thing they did wow. which, which should have which should have alerted me right away was uh, you know how as a guy, right? Like I would be like, we would have, you know, female coworkers, John, and, or, you know, even in high school, right. You have yeah. different girls that you know in a group. Right. And yeah. you'd say, well, John, do you think Sarah is attractive or whatever? Right. Yeah. yeah. And you'd ask about her as a guy. Right. Yeah. And guys yeah. would share their opinions or whatever. Sure. Right? Sure. But it was always a thing where it was, I guess like an unspoken rule. And I think most guys would attest to this. It would stay amongst you guys, right? You well, the locker room talk stayed in the locker room. 
exactly, in other words, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and so like the one day these guys asked me in my opinion and I wasn't, I didn't say anything like, uh, I didn't say anything like, um, uh, like our current president with the headset. Like I, it was, it was very tame. <laughs> they asked me, they asked me like between this girl and that girl in the office, I think the one girl's named Penny. I can't remember the other girl's name, which oh. do you think is more attractive? Right. And I was like, well, you know, honestly, I think Penny's more attractive or whatever. And it was like it, like they didn't go into detail or anything like that. Right. But right. these idiots went back and told these two girls, oh. these three guys, that between these two girls, this is who I thought was more attractive. <sighs> and of course, the girl that I said that I thought was less attractive than her friend, it caused a problem. Right. Now she had like this <sighs> thing against me. And I was like, why did you guys do that? And they thought it was like a joke. That's just right? something that dudes are supposed to know. The locker room talk exactly, stays in the locker exactly. room. Yeah. And. Because you would never put another dude in that kind of no. situation. And no. then, no. like, so I just, like, stopped communicating with them, and it just kept escalating. And then um, it got to the point where they asked me, like, hey, would you have would you have sex with, uh, with Penny? <laughs> right. And at the time, like, the Iraq war was going on and everything. Yeah. And I, I was, and I had said, no, I would not. And they were like, well, well, well why wouldn't you? Right. You don't think, you said the other day oh, she was attractive. Yes. They're just right? intentionally trying and to was, trap you in something. Yeah. So then why I said, wouldn't you? <laughs> I said, well, yeah. So I said, the reason I wouldn't is because uh, her husband's away. She, I, a, she's married and her husband is away. If he's away fighting, right, for the country, yeah. right? And I feel like it would be like a double negative. Like, not sure. only are you sleeping with a married woman, which is wrong, <laughs> but you're also, like, sleeping with her husband is away fighting for her freedom. So, like, I would just feel bad about myself on sure. two levels. And these guys are like, oh, what are you, gay, man? Oh. You're like, oh, you're like, what are you? You're, I sound like you're a bunch of cavemen. Like, exactly. And I was like, so I get to the point, I was just like, you know what? Forget this. I can't do this. So I go to <clears> HR. Right. And I'm like, this is the situation. This was going on. And now, by the way, I should mention at the time I was attempt to hire for this position. So I'd only been working there for like three months. Okay. And they're like, what? And <laughs> so she like, I remember the HR lady turns around and she pulls out this thing. She starts writing all these names down and she starts writing, documenting all the stuff that I'm telling her. So then what, well, guess what happens? I get fired. They let me Whoa. go. Yeah, so they terminate uh, me, and they tell me they're going to take care of these guys, right? Well, and that got like, turned around awfully quick. Yeah, Good I was Lord. like, well, how Yeah, so, because I think they were like, well, they didn't want me, because I could maybe make a case against the company for what was going on there. So they wanted and, to get a step ahead yeah, of you then, and okay. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I learned in my life, in corporate America, like, HR, you think HR is there to protect the employees, but unfortunately, in most scenarios, HR is actually there to protect the company against lawsuits. Now, I've, I've been here in Norway for almost 20 years, uh, and one of the biggest things I've noticed since I've been here is that the work environment, you know, everything when it comes to how HR uh, operates, when it comes to workers' rights and protections mm -hmm. and, and the value of the worker... Norway is light years ahead of the United States. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't picture a case like that happen. I can't picture there being a case like that in in Norway. It just, it just, it just wouldn't happen. It would have been handled yeah. the way it should have been handled. Yeah, and that was it. Uh, you know, the thing is, I think it was 
I, I, well, I won't say it just in case I got it wrong, but that there was that bank doesn't exist anymore. Okay. That was one of the banks that got wiped out in the financial crash. So this well, was like, <laughs> and, and this was, <laughs> this was like right before that in like 2007 or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, 2006, maybe 2007. But then basically I lost that job and I started looking, I was just desperate for a job and I started looking at applications, uh, jobs on Craigslist. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, I mean, I have a number of other stories about that time, but I got a job with this guy out of his apartment and he taught me how to sell. He was running okay. his own small business out of his condo. I should say it's actually it was a condo and I would just show up. He wasn't, he wasn't a he drug dealer. Was he? That sounds like, a, no, no, you know, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm just you messing. Know, the thing is it, in the beginning, it sounds super sketch. And I told my brother about <laughs> it too. Yeah. Cause right on the, on, on, the on the surface, the way you described it, it sounded real, real sketch. Yeah. <laughs> so. Real, real sketch. Right. <laughs> and I was like, you know, this is, this is what's going on. And my brother's like, dude, like you're going to work on some guys like condo and you're like, and I was like, I, you know, he was, especially even the first paycheck, I was afraid that like, maybe this guy won't pay me, like maybe the paycheck won't clear, but everything was legit. Like it was just, he just, cause he had, this was like his third, it was equipment leasing and financing. Okay. And what, what uh, kind of equipment? Mar- uh, we would do any kind of equipment. So we did everything from like office cubes to computers, to trucks, Okay. um, all kinds of stuff, right? And we worked as a middleman, as a broker, right? And he actually did the finance part. I did, he just taught me how to cold call, how to get people that were, find people that were interested in the service. And then I'd hand it off to him and then he would take it to the extra, the next steps. And he paid me pretty good. You know, he paid me pretty much like a cash bonus. So it was like, my bonus was like off the books, right? So that he didn't have to pay taxes on it either. So it was like, it Sounds was like a good setup. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was great. And I was with him for like maybe a year and a half until uh, he decided the taxes in California were too high and he w- wanted to move to, um, he wanted to move to Texas, right? So he moved to Texas. Now, my brother had done very well for himself in corporate America as, w- as well. Okay. And my brother wanted to start his own business. And he saw that I did very well with this guy and what we were doing, equipment leasing and financing. So we started our own equipment leasing and financing business and we did that for about a year, but then it was just a complete disaster because we started our business in late 2006 and obviously the financial crash happens in 2008, yeah. right? Oh. So we got, we had loans that like just like, so I was finding customers <clears throat> and we had people that needed capital, yeah. but the banks wouldn't fund them. Right. They just wouldn't do it. And we didn't know what was going on. We're like, why won't you, you did the credit check. You did. I mean, first of all, it was hard to get customers. We had a lot of, you could tell too, something was wrong because we had a lot of people that were, were bankrupt or people who had a lot of bankruptcies in the past. And you tell them like, well, if you don't have good credit, like I can't get you processed, but they would apply anyways. Right. Or they would try to come back in like multiple times. Yeah. And so yeah, that business failed. And then I worked a bunch of other odd jobs. I thought about going back to going back to hit, go back to school. At one point I was just like, you know, especially after the crash, I was like, uh, cause I had thought about working in finance and yeah. I had been equipment leasing and financing. And I was like, you know, this, I don't want to do the finance deal. This is because obviously the world's falling apart there. Um, and I worked at the engineer consulting firm with Solve 
And then I was like, well, what am I doing with my life? Right. It's like four years later. Yeah. I'm still like, I don't have a direction path. And then I got But, but didn't you get a certain amount of, yeah. of self-confidence in that process? Because what you've described over the last couple of minutes now has been yeah. a journey where you started with, with almost nothing, uh, literally nothing. And yeah. then you work your way up to, you know, wor working with people who are self-employed, getting your foot in the door of corporate American. Yeah. That's a wealth of experience right there. So it wasn't it wasn't a total yeah. loss I would I would I would imagine. No, it wasn't. It wasn't I wasted time. Just, in other words, you were learning. It wasn't, were, I think in retrospect, it wasn't wasted time. But you know, I think when you're in the middle of it, you're like, okay, well, I want my I want my life to be here. I'm not there yet. How do I? What are the next steps to take to get there? And you know, I thought, well, <laughs> that's why I decided for a career change. I thought yeah. I was going to go into history. Uh, or go back to school. And I did. I got my master's degree in history. But in doing that, I was also working during the day and I uh, lost my job at the consulting firm. They had let me go. And then I ended up getting a job at a software company, um, working sales in a software company. Now, what year was this? This was 2011. Okay. I started working in a software company. And then I started making really good money in the software company. And... I was like, well, you know, why? And I learned a lot more about academic life and what that would cost, the sacrifices yeah. that would be needed. Because, you know, most academics, unless you're at like one of the top universities like Yale or Harvard or Oxford, and you have to go to one of those schools, obviously, to, to, to teach at one of those schools, right? Like, yeah. Uh, taking, yep. I mean, I went to Long Beach State, which is a great school. I enjoyed my time there. I had great professors. I learned a lot. Uh, not only, and the funny thing is, I learned. I felt I learned more about life on, in grad school than I did in, as an undergrad, and about preparing for the future. I took a lot away from that, but I would also say, because of the way that academia is set up, if I tried to get like a, you, there's nobody coming from Long Beach State and teaching at Harvard or Oxford, no, right? Because no. that's not the way that that system works. And at so, that time, you were you wanted yeah. to go further into teaching, correct? Is that why you took yeah, your master's? Yeah, so I wanted to, initially, before I started making money doing software sales in the day, I was, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to go to, into teaching because that was what I thought. I was yeah. like, well, I guess that's what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. Because this is, I was always great at history, obviously, and I, I always scored really high, and I was at the top of my class. And, and that's I, where your interest was, of course. That's, yeah, that's yeah. where my love, that's where my passion was. Yeah. And I was just like, well, you know, cause, and even at one point when I was looking at going into P different PhD programs, I was going to have to go on a stipend and the stipend is like less than $20,000 a year. And at this point I'm making like 60 and I was like, but isn't, that doesn't make any sense is it, isn't all for me to like. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I just want to uh, clarify something or, sure. or clear something. Isn't all undergrad uh, education uh, tuition free in California? So my Isn't undergrad, there... I had done. Uh, so my undergrad, I had done back in New York. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? Of course, you did say that. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. And, of course. Uh, my graduate school in California was expensive. It was actually. Well, I wouldn't say it was actually relatively cheap comparison okay. to most states it was actually pretty cheap i think but, i spent probably like 20 grand tops for a I master's see. degree which is like nothing That's although cheap. yeah yeah the other thing is though i would say is that i um i actually uh i i 
I wasn't living on campus as well, and I was working during the day, okay. so that also helped. And the sure. thing is, to that money, getting that education money, because they would give me like $5,000 or whatever uh, when I would get the financial aid, and some of it was like leftover. Supposedly, it was supposed to be using it for books and stuff, yeah. but I was using some of that money to like, I had this this car that I was fixing, uh, right? And so like I, I, see. I used to have, <laughs> and me and Salve joke about this all the time because we had the same type of car. I had a Volvo uh, 780 uh, from like, I think it was a 1991 or 92. Yeah. And the car was built like a tank, man. It was, it was a great car like the first two years, but the second two years I had it, it started having all kinds of problems. It okay. seemed like every six months or so, something would break and every time it would cost me like a grand to get it fixed. Yeah. Oh. Right. So I had to maintain a thousand dollars in savings at all time, just in case something just happened in case, with the car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had to, you know, fix the car or I had to put the car on my, you know, yeah. I had to pay it off on my yeah. credit card. So I was building up debt while I was doing this. And eventually I just bought a new car. Cause I was like, I was looking at the amount of money it was costing me. Well then, plus, like I said, I was in the software sales job. I was starting to make, like the, my first real money in my life. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, and that was a thing too. So that's what, what kept me. And then after I worked there, I got into, I worked for IBM and then I worked for my current employer, which is another big telecom company currently in the U S here. Yeah. And I, you know, built a whole career from that. And now, you know, I'm pretty successful career in sales and, you know, life's pretty comfortable um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a big fight to kind of get through that journey of, you know, going through that process, that learning curve and the timing of it doing is, those different things. Yeah. And the timing of it, is, I, I think it probably instilled a certain amount of tenacity in you, uh, because, you know, people have to remember, you know, that the, the, the recession at that time, you know, pre 2010 oh, yeah. was pretty yeah. intense, pretty, yeah, was, pretty, was, pretty yeah. much there was no one. Uh, of, a, of any working age who had ever experienced anything like that. So I would imagine it yeah. was pretty scary. So I would, I, I, yeah. I, I, could, I, I can imagine that you came out of that uh, literally a stronger person with more resolve and more focus on what you wanted to do with your life. You kind of were forced to be that do or die. Yeah. I, I would say, yeah, it was, it was pretty much do or die with every job. Yeah. And because it was like, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to end up on the street. Yeah. Right. Or I'm going to end up, I mean, I probably would have just ended up going home or spending a little more time on my brother yeah. if it got that bad. But I did not want to get to that situation, right? So, you know, I worked really hard. I, I did everything I had to do because, yeah, every day during that time was like make or break, right? Yeah. And, yeah, the economy was not good. I mean, that was part of the reason why I ended up working on, you know, uh, with some dude out of his condominium. <laughs> right? Yeah, and yeah. There were a bunch of other places I interviewed at, which, you know, or I had, you know, I remember I had this one job for like two weeks, mm. which was like the most ridiculous job ever. So this was like in, like the business that my, my brother had run had just failed. It's like late 2008. It's like the summer, I think of, of 2008, like everything's imploding and I didn't have a car. I didn't even have a car. I, I didn't even, at that time I didn't even have a car. And I went to, I rode my bike to this place. I rode, I had to ride my bike like three or four miles to this location and to this office building. I get there and when I go into the office building, I wear a suit too. So I had to like yeah. roll up my, 
had to roll up the the pant legs and everything because I was like, okay, this is an interview, right? This is for a sales job, whatever. So I get there, I get into the interview, I get nobody else has a suit on. I was like, what the hell is going on here, right? And were they like were they like like t-shirts and, and designer jeans or were they yeah, no these guys look like some of these guys look like they had just got done smoking crack <laughs> like these guys were like some of these guys look now like is the drug people. dealer like, job okay <laughs> yeah and, uh, they're like you know they're, these guys are just looking rough and i'm like wow. what is going on here right and <laughs> what kind of business so was in, it what kind of business so, was so it? yeah so i get uh, uh, just it'll come out <laughs> yep, in the story so i get yep. in I come in, so this guy comes in, he just got his jeans and a polo on, right? <laughs> and he's at a desk and he's like, I hand him my resume. He doesn't even look at my resume. He just throws it down the, the table. He's like, listen, this is a call center job. The calls come in because they're doing refinances for old people or whatever, right? Okay. He's like, there's an automated dialer. It just automatic dial dials these people. You talk to them, you get them to buy, you get them, you find, you get them interested, and then you press this button to transfer them to somebody else. That's all you do, right? And for each per, we pay you uh, seven dollars and seven or eight dollars an hour, right? I think it was like eight dollars an hour. We pay eight dollars an hour, and then for every person that you transfer, you get a five dollar bonus, right? Okay. Okay. So I was like, all right. So he's like, don't wear that shit when you come back tomorrow. He literally <laughs> said, don't wear that shit when you come back tomorrow. He's like, come in. He's like, we got two shifts. We got a night shift. We got a morning shift. I want you to come in here on the morning shift. Uh, come in at this time. So I come in and, you know, this place is like, so I'm with all these other people. We're in a room. Auto dialer comes in, start working this job. Most of the time, the auto dialer was broke. There were a couple of times we came in and the guy was like, go home. The auto dialer is broke. There's some problem, right? Because they had just set up the company. And with the see. auto dollars based in like, I see, um, was based in a like Jamaica or something like that, right? <laughs> and then it's like somewhere in the islands, right? yeah. so it's already like even more sketch. Yeah. And then uh, I remember, I, uh, I, because I, I remember. So then I went to week for the went to, I went to work for this guy for a week, and oh, so then at one point guy there's this vice president the, the, the second in charge guy who's running this right and he comes in he's like hey come in my office because i was like right across from him he's so he's i come in the office and he's like hey he's like i heard you on the phone you he's like you sound really good you sound you're like you're educated you sound like you know what you're doing um i want to give you a promotion why don't you show up in newport beach tomorrow at this other place we're going to promote you to work the actual loans right okay. and i was like I was like, yeah, I was like, awesome. I was like, you know, I said, the only problem is I can't go to Newport Beach. He's like, well, why can't you go to Newport Beach? And I was like, well, I, the, it takes too long for me to get there at the, with that time on the buses, right? Like, I can't take it. He's like, you don't have a car, right? And I was like, no, I don't have a car. And he was like, do you have a license? He's like, do you have a license? And at this point, I didn't have a driver's license because I had come from Buffalo. I relied most of my life on like public transportation. Okay, yeah. And he was like, what the F? He was like, what the F? Do you not have a license? And he like picks up, he just like goes nuts. He starts having like a meltdown. He throws a stapler across the room and he's like, dude, like, what's wrong with you? You don't have a job. You know, you get the fuck out of my office. Get, get the fuck out. Just get the fuck out of my office, right? And what kind like, of reaction is that? Was he Jamaican was too? <laughs> yeah, I was in complete shock because I was like, I had gone from getting a promotion to almost to all being of a sudden, fired. Yeah, yeah. In this, in the span of like maybe a, not even a minute, like you know. And the other guy comes down. The guy who runs the place, and he's like, dude, what's going on? 
And this other guy's like swearing. He's like, so nice. He's like, he doesn't have a car. You play this? This guy doesn't have a car. He lives in Southern California. He doesn't have a fucking car. And the guy's like, dude, just calm down. He's like, just go. And he told me, he's like, dude, don't pay attention to that guy. He's an asshole. Just go back to your desk and go back to work, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I went back to work. So it comes at the end of the week, right? And this is all like one week. I show up to get my paycheck. And it was like something out of like the 1850s or something where you show up, you know, like, you know, and you, and you put your ax to get paid. Mm. Right. So like you show up, they have this book, right? I sign my name to get paid. And this guy's like, well, you know what? The corporate checks didn't go through. No, so I'm going to pay you. A, yeah. I'm going to pay you a personal check. And then I'm going to pay you in some, some cash that I have on hand. Right. So he gives me a personal check for half of it. And the rest he counts out in cash and quarters. Right. <laughs> and, I like look at this and I was like, I ran to them. I was like, Oh my God, like this is just, this is a mess. So I went over, I cashed my check right away. The cash, the check cash, thankfully. Okay. And then I went home that night and started applying for more jobs. Yeah. You got to get like, the heck out of there. That place yeah, was, was like, like ready for a federal, federal investigation. Yeah. I, I literally <laughs> never went back and he wow. just called, he just, he, I remember like two weeks went by and he called me up and he was like, Hey, uh, are you, are you still working with us or whatever? And I was like, <laughs> I found out another, I was like, I found another opportunity. And he was like, okay, I understand. And that was it. That's just crazy. Was like, it was nuts. Was so like, I would yeah, imagine that things are a little bit more stable for you now working in uh, telecommunications. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're like a hundred million times more stable for me now. So and, like, and it, you, you work in sales now in telecommunications. Correct? Yeah. I still work in sales. So I work in enterprise sales. I work with two big, um, well, I used to work with two, but now I have a bunch of other new clients that just recently gave me. But uh, so I have like nine accounts, large enterprise accounts that I work with. Have you noticed? And, uh, have you noticed any change in the workflow now with uh, what many people are saying is going to develop into a real depression? Have you noticed any changes? Yeah. So yeah, I have. And it's a very unfortunate. So the thing is, I think I'm lucky for the moment. One of my biggest customers is a, a large government contractor. Uh -huh. um, and then we're getting a lot. So they have just even more work from the government than they normally do. Um, and then the other thing is we have, um, so there's actually at least one positive result from yeah. So there's okay. one positive, and then a lot of worker, a lot of companies are transitioning their workforces from working in office spaces to working at home, so which is another opportunity for yeah, you. Yeah, which is yeah. another opportunity for us. But we do have a lot of customers that are getting crushed by it. Right, I have one company that's a major shipping company. And they're like, yeah, our container ships are going back and forth empty between wow. us, between the U.S. and China. That's terrible. So we're not making money right now. So, yeah, it's a mess. So a lot of and I'm, I'm lucky. I have another colleague. She has like one of her big customers. They sell like tickets to sporting events. So obviously there's no sporting events. Her one of her other customers was like a big golf course. Obviously, there's no golf being played. So, right? so she can't she's not going to make her quota. Right. Like, so she's right, going to get right. crushed. So, so you as a salesperson in telecommunications, do you get into any of the analytical work? I mean, are you out there sniffing out the market, seeing what is going up and what is going down? Because I'm thinking about this trade situation uh, between the U.S. and China. Are, do, you, do you have any knowledge about that, uh, you know, uh, trying to gain any foresight when it comes to sales? Uh, well, so you try to, and you try to gain foresight, you try to learn, but you kind of have, in my, this particular role, your deck of accounts is your deck of accounts, right? So, yeah. you know, if, if, you, if your customer is that 
ticket sales operator gets your customer right and you like you can't switch and like because they management decides which accounts you get and which team you're on right okay like that's not a decision that you get to make so they're kind of handing so, the assignment to you and you just run with it you're not into any yeah, of you, the analysis so okay okay so you i mean you have to do your own analysis because you have to look at your accounts and you're saying of the accounts i have who's buying who's not right who's yeah that's, good? so you're doing some of that but you can't but i'm saying if you get all bad cards if you get all bad accounts it, you can do as much analysis as you want. You're not. Yeah. You're not going to be able to sell anything, right? But you're a salaried. I mean, you're a salaried employee, correct? With bonuses, I would. I would assume. But but. So yeah. So in sales, we get. Uh, we have your base pay, and the base pay is here really, is really nice. Mm -hmm. And then you you get a commission, which is you get compensated on top of what you do. And then we have a yearly or quarterly bonuses as well. There's also mm -hmm. like different spiffs. So like, the company like they incentivize you to try to sell some things over others. So you get money for that. Okay. So yeah, sales is the thing with sales is it's, and I would tell young people today, if you're interested in making money or interested in having a good life and you, you're okay with people rejecting you, um, <laughs> then I mean, it's the biggest thing. Cause I think a lot of people who get into sales, it's one of the very first things that you have to get used to is oh. people telling you no all the time or rejecting you. Right. And, and you're, you kind of have to build up your, your wall to that and just get okay whatever and move on to the next person i would imagine it's you a know, safe right. assumption to make that you get a lot more no than yes in, uh, when you're first starting oh, yeah. out yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and it just even yeah, i mean you get even as a as a regular sales guy you get you get a lot of no on a constant oh, basis okay. because of the fact that you know it's just more than likely i mean you're asking people for money so unless they're yeah. interested and yeah. you have to make a pitch you have to show them value in the solutions that you're selling to their particular, you know, even to get them to talk to you. Cause a lot of times the people you're trying to talk to are busy themselves. The last thing they want to do is talk to a sales rep. Yeah. Right. So, you know, in that respect, it's an unfor it's, it's a unforgiving job, but like every job, in my experience, every job has its downside. Sure. That's sure. just a particular downside with sales. But the good thing about sales is they pay you well. Right. And yeah. the reason they pay you well is because, not many people can take that much rejection right? and right. be okay. <laughs> well, again, we can go back. We can go back to your beginnings there in California with all the struggles that you had to go through and, yeah. and, and, and kind of turn your life upside down and you had to build yeah. up from scratch. That right there has given you that, um, that suit of armor, so to speak, to go in and yeah. do this battle as a salesperson. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing is too, you realize after a while, no is actually not a bad answer. If somebody tells you, well, first of all, no is the beginning of, of negotiations. Well, no, no is a challenge and we like to know. Yeah. So, no is yeah. just the beginning of the process. Yeah. No, very rarely. I mean, it happens, but very rarely somebody's going to say yes. Right. At the very beginning of that conversation, because most of the time they haven't heard the value yet. They don't right. know. You have to try to convince them. It's, it's a journey process that you have to go along yeah. before you can get to that yes answer. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's it's you have to you know you have to show value they have to be in the right circle because sometimes they're just in the wrong circumstance you know it's just not a good thing for me right now right so you have to like kind of like learn all of those scenarios and the other thing is at least you know where they stand the worst as a sales guy the worst thing is the person that's like hymns and haws well yeah maybe <laughs> let's talk about it okay. you know those guys the guys who can never make up their mind are actually the worst because you have to put a lot of time it, into that you put a lot of time into them yeah. so we call them uh time pirates right so what happens is 
they you end up investing a lot of time with them. So the guy who tells you to, to go screw off on the phone is one of the best people ever because you you had a 30 second conversation with him. You he won't remember you in three months. He's not remembering you tonight. Like I said, just don't take it personal, like whatever. Right. He told you I'm not interested, right? That's actually that's a second in sales, it's the second best answer you can hear is I'm not interested, right? The worst answer is, let me think about it. Let's have five conversations. Let me involve all these other people. You spend six months on it. And then they're like, well, we still don't know. Or let's talk about it next year. Yeah. Right. So like it, they can never come to a conclusion. After using all that time. Yeah. 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 So, so how much working from home have you had to do now? Uh, I've been In working. The, I've been working for uh, a lot of salespeople work from home currently. So I've been working from home for actually basically the last two years oh really okay um, so so this didn't really so for me it didn't affect me that much or in okay. reverse, like working from home yeah yeah and you've you've got your health you haven't been sick uh no no but, thankfully i have my health i've been i've been quarantining during yeah. this whole crazy scenario um business so, as usual I mean, business as usual for you then I wouldn't say business as usual because I, you know, because <laughs> the thing is, I, I normally try to get out of the house at the end of the day. I try to, I go to the gym and work out, you know, go for the run, you know, on the weekends you go out, you do stuff, especially here in California, right? There's so many yeah, things to do. Yeah. You meet up with friends, but like now, like there's none of that. Like what kind I just of, work. What kind of working out do yeah. you do? Um, so I actually like to do lift weights. I'm not a power lifter in, in any sense. Uh, but I do like to, I like the bench press. Um, I, I use like dumbbells. I use, you know, all kinds of extra, uh, the, the equipment there. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm definitely not a bodybuilder, but I do, I have a lot more respect for that craft now that I know okay, yeah. like what goes into it and the kind of dedication that it takes, especially the people who are natural, right. Who are naturally yes, into that. Yeah. Right, yeah. because I think before when I was younger, and because you know, so I guess on a side note, on a personal level, um, at one point, you know, obviously I was dating or whatever, and like now I'm happily married, but before I was dating, and I was like, well, you know, I'm having problems dating and stuff, and I was like, well, and I just kind of like I read a, I got a, a, I was pretty stupid. I was like, why isn't this working for me? I was like, I'm a pretty good smart guy. I read a lot, right? So I was like, why don't I get a, date, a book on dating? And I read a book on dating, and you know, some of it just lays it out. So it's like, hey, well, if you want to get somebody that's good looking, you probably need to be attractive yourself. So you probably need to be working out or in good shape. So I was like, oh, that seems, you know, that seems yeah. simple enough. And then. I was like, well, I, this seems like something I could do, right? And so I had a gym membership with my one of my jobs, and I just started going to the gym. And I, they, you know, they start you off with a trainer, and the guy's like, well, what's, you know, what is your goal? And I was like, well, I want to kind of look like a boxer. Like, how would I train to kind of look like a boxer? And he was like, and this guy was like a former Army Ranger guy or something like that. Okay. He's like, oh, this is great, blah, blah, blah right? And he's like, <laughs> told me what I didn't do. And then, you know, I started working at it and I started going to, the, and the other thing is at that point too, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a lot that was going on with me. And I think that the thing is like, you know, I guess a lot of people go to the gym, I guess for camaraderie, they want to talk to other people. Yeah. 
but I like to kind of just go to the gym and like decompress and like think about things. You know, that's my, that's my, yeah, that's, I can, I can identify with that. That's my therapy time, so to speak. That's where I can unwind. That's where I can get more into my own inner. Yeah. That's my time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the other thing is too, like, I think I get, sometimes at work I get frustrated or there's something I have, I feel it. Uh, anxiety or, or nervousness or pressure and it's a good time i don't know by lifting weights or like it just i feel like i get a lot of that out of me right or or, or well, you know doing that type of, of pull-ups or exercise or yeah. dips or whatever i feel like i kind of get something out and i feel a lot better about myself and i know there's all kinds of like clinical studies and everything sure. that show yes. you get a lot of that out of yep. it and um you know and it i you know i think it, it did help me dating help me with dating and stuff and then well you get a certain amount of self-confidence the better shape you're in the better you feel about yourself and then you present yourself in a totally different way in social situations yeah yeah yeah. and people look at you different right so sure they do absolutely yes so i think you know i was like so it was just this wonderful thing i wish i had found it earlier in my life i just wasn't that type of person and no one really like directed me to that i think also southern california is a very visual place right yes, we have Venice yeah. Beach, we have all this you know bodybuilding's mm-hmm. big out here right and you, i didn't i just don't you just when i was in buffalo i was a kid i just wasn't looking for that i didn't see those people yeah it's a totally different um, environment for those kind of it's things. a totally different environment <clears throat> yeah. but here like you see those people and i have like because i know like what it takes to to do that like those guys like you know they're going to the gym two times a day 10 days, you know, 10 days a week to look like that, right? Like they usually, you you know, you just, even in the guys who use steroids, they still, you still have to put in. There's still a lot of work that's put into it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do like, you have to to diet. You have to have a very specific diet, right? Like you just don't. There's a lot of discipline that is demanded uh, in order to to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is what, what is a lot of people, I think the perception of a lot of people is that you're just, you're just born that way. Right, like you, you were born that way, and genetics plays a part. But nothing but beats nothing. Plays. Nothing tops hard work. It's the hard work yeah, that, that brings it, about. Like, yeah. You can have all the genetics in the world, but if you don't do anything with it, then Thing then it. then what yeah. are you? You haven't you haven't yeah. achieved anything. Yeah, so and, I, you could, and you could be a guy who had horrible genetics, but yeah. if you go in there every day. You're gonna, you know, you're everyone's given the thing is just everyone's giving some it's given something on a genetics level, and you can always build on it, you can always build on it. Yeah, I I was lucky uh, at an early age, I think I was seven years old when I started playing baseball. I was six years old when I started playing baseball, and then seven when I started with football. And of course, basketball and track and all that stuff came afterwards, but I was focused on football from the age of seven, eight. Uh, all the way through high school, I went to, went to college on a football scholarship and then taking that athletic ability and that discipline that I learned through all those years. Now I apply it to powerlifting. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lucky. I've, I've, I've just had an athletic life my entire life Mm -hmm. and I see, I feel the, I feel what it's done for me and I, I can apply that to my life. There's more to be, I mean, of course you can just be a meathead and be big and strong and that's your thing. Yeah. I like to take that discipline that I've picked up through the years and apply it, of course, to my training as a powerlifter, but also apply it to my life outside of, of powerlifting. I mean, yeah, those lessons of discipline can be applied if you have the if you have a mindset to, to, mm-hmm. to apply it. Yeah. Well, I think, too, to me, it's like 
some of that mindset or some of those ideas about are applicable to other parts of your life, right? Like are, you know, that kind of discipline or the ability to keep going, yeah. right? And that ability that, you know, planning, I think it's planning, planning, setting goals, setting goals, the ability to craft your life, right? I think is because many people feel like we're, you know, there's, there, there's an ideology that many people are just like, you know, and I guess this gets back to, I mean, obviously I studied in school, uh, you know, with communism and stuff like that. Like you're just like, th- there's a belief or many people have the belief that you are kind of a victim of your circumstances, right? Like yeah. whatever your circumstances are, those are your circumstances and they're immutable, right? Like you can't change that. That's just, just how the world is. Right. And I think that like power, you know, power lifting your body and building the, you know, working out of the gym, like those are kinds of things that show you that like, you're right with enough planning, preparation, and discipline, you can actually change where you are. You, like, exactly. you can make a difference in your own yeah. life. Yeah. And I think, but we have a lot of people today that are like, and I get it. It's it's hard, man. I'm not going to say it's, it yeah, is Yeah, there hard, are circumstances right? that can make it harder. Yeah, there's cir- yeah. circumstances that can make it harder for, for one demographic than it is for another. But, but yeah. you still have that thing called drive you still have that thing called focus you still have that thing called discipline and those things can be applied yeah. uh yeah to, to kind of bat, batter up you know bat against those walls of, of yeah of limitation yeah well the other thing is i think everyone because we talk in today's society we talk a lot about privileges like you know this person's privilege and this person's privilege and i think there are definitely privileged people without it out but i think the thing is like what but it also sets up in some people's minds this idea that, okay, well, I'm in one of these groups. I don't have any privileges, right? Which exactly. I think is the wrong, which is, because then they're like, well, there's not, there's nothing I can do. I'm not privileged or whatever, no. right? But I think it sets up because the way that I look at it is in life, everyone gets, they get a, a hand of cards that are dealt to them, right? And some of those cards you can trade in, some of those cards you're stuck with, right? But it's like, how do you take the best advantage of the cards that you have? So. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you're in a disadvantaged group, right? But maybe yeah. you're good looking, right? That's a privilege that you have. How can you use, like for me personally, all right, like, you know, growing up, I had a learning disability. Uh, I had dyslexia, so I struggled with school, but I was really good at history, right? So, and for whatever reason, I was, I was just gifted at that, right? So how can I use this to... To get me to, to get myself to the next level, right? right. Like if you look at the advantages that you have, the things that you're good at, if you're good at art or whatever it is, like how do you use that advantage that you have, right, to fuel yourself to try to get to that next level? Like, okay, I can take. I mean, like you know, some things you don't even think of as an advantage. Like I can hear no, I can get rejected a lot and be okay, right? You wouldn't think of that as an advantage, but that's an advantage. So, what kind of career? Or what can I do, given the cards that I have, to yeah. like move forward or to, to to create a better life for myself, yeah. right? Like I'm good at this. What else could I do, right? So, I think people people don't they don't they don't necessarily have that mindset. They have the mindset of I'm in a disadvantaged group, or these other people are privileged. This is then this is it, right? Yeah, of course, a, of course, I yeah. Yeah. I be- I believe that there's such a thing as privilege. You know, there's there's male privilege. There's there's uh, white privilege. I believe also there's a thing oh, yeah. called I be- I also believe in white woman privilege. Uh, that's a whole yeah. other podcast. Okay. And then I be- and then I believe that there's a certain uh, demographic of minorities, uh, among them women, uh, people of color, who mm-hmm. have 
disadvantages, but I'm also yeah. a believer that you can shape your own life. Of course, yeah. it's difficult. Of course, yeah. no matter how hard you try, you may not make it. But I, yeah. I, I, I there, there's this thing. It's you know, if you have generational disadvantage, if it's not just you who is at a disadvantage, but if your parents, mm -hmm. your grandparents, and your great grandparents have been in that disadvantage, and that's kind of what your family is used to, I can totally understand that um, you know uh, an inner city uh, black family that has grown up in the projects, uh, and their parents were in the projects, their grandparents were in the projects, and that's all they've ever seen. That's basically how they've been taught yeah. to live. Mm -hmm. I get it that, 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 you know, the cards are stacked against those, those children who are the products of that generational yeah. disadvantage. Um, what blows my mind, what saddens me, and I tell you, it's kind of rough to see some of these things as an expat. What saddens me and just breaks my heart is to see that there is a lot of people in charge of running our country who refuse to acknowledge that there is such a thing as this generational um, disadvantage. They refuse to acknowledge that it exists, and they definitely aren't doing anything to fix it. Well, see, I think the thing is with the, and I guess, and I, tell I, you, I it, definitely believe, I mean, I, so let me say this, I think, I think as a person who, because obviously I'm a white person, so I think people see me as white, right? Like, I technically I'm a quarter African-American, but people don't my, know my that about me. <laughs> yeah, so that's the funny thing. And so I didn't, I didn't find that out about myself. I knew we always had some black in us. I didn't know how much, uh -huh. right? But I don't, don't consider myself black because I know when I show up in a room, no one sees me as black, right? I so, so, I, so I don't, I don't live that experience, right? For better or worse, right? And... So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't carry that with me, but I think as understanding it as, I guess, a quote unquote white person, whatever that is, because I think, I mean, race is a very complex subject, right? And I think it to is. a certain extent, it's, it's, it's a, on a certain level, it's real, but it's also not real, which if, if you get what I'm saying, like, I do. It's, I in do. some sense, it's, it's totally made up, right? Like that's how, you know, we stand back and you see the Hutus and the, the Tutsis like killing each other, right? And you're yeah. like, I don't understand the difference. But they understand the difference, right? Just like you see in Northern Ireland, right? The Irish are going at each other, and you're like, I don't, I don't get it. You guys both, it both seems like you're Irish to me. But for them, they really understand the differences of what that struggle is, right? Because we're obviously outside of it. So there's race on that level. I think on the generational level, and it gets into a lot of topics because I think on one hand, I think I totally understand from a historical perspective like what's going on with african americans and obviously yeah like it, it it you know they went through they had slavery you had jim crow you had you know you know it wasn't really until the 1960s and actually really maybe in the 1970s that things started to equalize right in the country and they're still not equal to this day like you know unfortunately the gentleman who got shot for just jogging like last week mm, right right because yeah. people thought, you know, this guy must be running from some kind of, kind of crime. He yeah. couldn't just be running that neighborhood, right? Right. And I think, you know, the, the, on the one hand is, I, th I think for white America, there's a sense of, like, guilt or, like, personal. So the thing is, I think a lot of white people are saying, well, if I accept 
that there's this generational thing, then I'm saying that I'm guilty or my grandparents are guilty. See, and, and I wish, I think, and that is, that is something. I that, don't think that's something, I don't think that's something that's, tr that's, you can, and I think as a white person, what I try to say to those people is you could recognize something is true without it being associated with you and your guilt. Exactly, right? because a lot of people, uh, there's yeah. a lot of white people out there, uh, it, it's, it's impossible to talk about these kind of things with them because they automatically get defensive. And I believe that that is an almost automatic reaction with a lot of white Americans that they feel yeah. guilty. And I wish they would stop that. You know, if you're racist, yeah. if you have racist attitudes or discriminatory attitudes, then feel guilty because you should be. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't, if you don't, then I think those are the people who could be the best. Well, white people could be the, the, the ones who make the change. I don't think black people alone are going to be able to change that situation in America. It's going to take the gathering and, active, uh, and activating of um, uh, white allies who yeah. are who acknowledge yeah. that there is a problem and then use the positions of influence that they have. And, and there is influence just in using your voice. You don't have to be a rich, yeah. powerful uh, politician or a businessman or woman. You can just be that white person in the street who is vocalizing uh, the realities of the situations of race in America and become, well, and become an ally. By I, I, yeah, I think I, to me, I, the way that I see it is it's, I don't know, the, the way that I see it is that black people are Americans, right? Mm -hmm. And that we should treat all Americans equal. Exactly. And... I think one it shouldn't of the be this thing, us and them thing. It shouldn't be. Yeah. That. So we should I think see one of the, no, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. One of the, one of the things that I see constantly, which I just, and I think maybe because I'm, I'm a historian by training, but it annoys the shit out of me is you see white supremacists or other white groups. And they're like, well, black people are American. Now I'm like, and to me, I'm like, excuse me, they're the, probably the most Americans there are because they've been here since the beginning yeah. since the 1600s right exactly and b they didn't sign up to be american they were kidnapped to be americans right you so you can't just they were here during all the revolutionary battles bunker hill you know york uh, Lex, uh, yorktown all that shit they were here yep. they fought yep. they were in the civil war they were in world war ii like how good did you say i'm sorry i'm getting a little louder but how could no, this you is good. say this <laughs> that they're not Americans. To me, it's like, what are you talking about, man? Like they're the, they're, and the thing is most white people in, in America are not tracing their, their roots back to the Mayflower. Their relatives didn't show up here until they came here in the, the early 20th century because they were Italian and German yes. or Polish. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but you can't then stand back and try to be a white supremacist yeah. and, and rewrite a history irony. and There's say, a, yeah, yeah, I say like, oh, African-Americans aren't real Americans. So what are you talking about, bro? They're like more Americans than you and your Polish, you know, if you were going to, you know, draw it up that way. See, right, and you then, with your background in history, with your education in history, with your, with your confidence in your, you know, in, in relating the facts, you could be and probably are a great ally for black Americans when it comes to these these issues of racism and discrimination. You are, you're the kind of ally that we need. Uh, you, you're not afraid to talk about it. And that discussion right there will lead to change if we get enough people that are willing to talk about it. But like I say, most people yeah, run for most people run for the hills when you bring up the yeah. issue of race relations. They don't even well, want to talk about racial, it. Yeah, there's race relations. The other thing is, though, I, I will say on the other side, especially because the thing is with the whole 
the reparations thing because people are bringing up reparations again, right? Because I think that is so that is kind of like well, because they're like okay, well, because that one I think I understand. Let me, I, I'm trying to explain this the most dip- diplomatic way. I'm trying <laughs> to think of how to say this, like because they're so African Americans are like we need to get paid reparations, right? And I think I do have some issues with reparations because I don't think a lot of people think about how complex it is, right? Because on the one hand, let's just take a person like myself, right? So I probably had, and I'm sure I had people in my family that were racist, right? White people in my family that were racist. And I've had people in my family that were probably maybe somehow involved with the slave trade, right? I don't know. I can't, you know, I mean, if I did enough homework, I'm probably sure I had some relatives that did bad things. Everyone does, right? But I also have a quarter African-American, right? Mm. Now, should I get 25% of a check? (laughs) Right? Well, like, but do you how, think? How do you? But do you think the how, only how way do you, to do? You, do you think the only way to pay reparations is through a monetary handout? Now, there's a question for you. Because I, I, I oppose a monetary handout giving people checks, but I, but I, of course, I've talked to and I've seen people say that that's the way we should do it. I, what I think is, you should. We should just, and I think this is just something in general, we should just fund more black colleges, we should give more money to those areas that need money, not because of reparations, but just because that's the right thing to do. If we have a ton of Americans who are living in absolute poverty, who have no chance to move up the social system, then it's not good for us. As an economy, like it's the thing is like, do you really, I mean, Right now, if you think about it, if you think through it logically, right, many white people are afraid of black people because they're afraid that they might hurt them or kill them or whatever because they're coming from a desperate economic situation, right? If African-Americans weren't coming from a desperate economic situation, they wouldn't be engaged in that type of activity. Or maybe I'm, I just think about it too simplistically, but I guess they don't, that, I think that's a little simplistic. A job, I think that's a little <laughs> simplistic because what about what would you say then about the white people who are in a difficult economic situation? Why don't rich white people fear other white people white who people. are in a, Yeah, exactly. Because, well, why is that? I why is the say, perception different? They may well, fear say, that. Maybe they fear them, but well, it's a different level of fear. Well, I guess one is I was talking to the perception, right? Not so necessarily the reality when I brought up I that see, example I see, yeah. the, that, that I see. is the perception I see, right yeah. it's not the reality because right. the reality is Agreed, yeah. more than likely as a white person i'm going to kill by another white person yeah right? statistics it, say that that's what will happen yeah. Say yeah. you're going to get killed by some and the same thing with african-americans same right? thing yeah african-americans get killed disproportionately by african-americans not white people right exactly it's just that when those color lines are passed both sides react more it's just more of a of a news thing right because of the way that we are unfortunately the history that we have so i think the i think the whole issue of reparations would be a non-issue if as you said if they just do the right thing just do what's right yeah make do do what's right there's a famous quote there's a famous quote from uh james brown um may he rest in peace James Brown said, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something to the effect of, you don't have to do anything for me. Just open the door and let me do it myself. Yeah. And I think if that were the reality, if that were the reality of the situation in America today, there wouldn't be any talk about reparations because things would be equal. Yeah, things would be equal, right? Yeah. If they weren't, I mean, if they, if they, those cities, those inner cities didn't look like the way they were and those communities didn't look the way they were, 
you wouldn't have anybody saying you need to send me a monetary check or somebody yeah. online posting like white people need to give up their property or give three thirds of their white wealth to us, right? You, you wouldn't have people saying things like that. I mean, you probably would. You still have the fringes. You're always going to have sure, people on the, on sure. the far ends, right? But the majority of people would just be like, or even African-Americans, and some people did say, like, that's crazy. You can't do it like that. That's yeah. just not right, right? So, you know, you know you're going to have less of those crazies, I would say, if, if people are given a chance, right? I'm Cause, against, cause uh, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. against a check. Uh, although if someone cut me a check, I'll take it. <laughs> but I'm against that as a, as a form of reparations. I would rather see... Um, in reality, not just talking about a level playing field. I want to see a level playing field. I want to see inner city schools funded uh, the way they're supposed to be. And, yeah. I, and, and, I, and I, I would like to see some sort of educational effort because this thing, when they talk about black people, they only talk about black people in the inner city. Uh, yeah, there's more. There's you know, there's another reality for for black people. Not everyone. Well, I, I, I mean, I think that's. I mean, I was going to bring this up earlier. That's the other thing is like we look a lot. We obviously this conversation is done in broad strokes. Sure, right? sure. In terms of, sure. I think people kind of forget the individual level because they do. They do. Because like, let's take Jaden Smith, right? Will Smith's son. Right. Jaden Smith is super privileged. Like he's a multimillionaire. Like Jaden Smith is, I mean, he obviously he's still African-American. There's still some situations that he's going to have to deal with in regards to that. But Jaden Smith is going to have a way better life than your average poor white person born in West Virginia. Absolutely. Right? And I think sometimes other white people get upset because, and I've had this happen to me, right? You walk into a situation as a white person. And, and again, it's the pluses and advantages of life, right? Sure. And because you're white, people just automatically assume that I grew up in the suburbs, that I come from this wealthy background, and everything I have in life has been given to me, right? <laughs> and I see or I understand why a lot of white people get upset about that because they're like, well, you know, I had to work for some of the things I had to. Now, there's obviously white people out there who didn't work for anything, who got, you know, who got a, a, a golden check cut for them. Right. It happens. It's, it happens disproportionately to white people. Right. Because of our history and who we are as a society. But I think we need to. And again, I, I go back to what Martin Luther King said. And that's what I was taught when I was a boy yeah. is what we should be working towards, which I think we as a society in general, I think all people have kind of lost, you know, lost sight of. It's like we're working for a society where skin color and race doesn't matter anymore. Where right. we're, people just see people as people. Yep. And I think we do have to understand that there's history there. And we do have to understand like that there are systems of, you know, that were set up a long time ago that breed inequalities. But at the same time, we don't want to take our eye off the prize of where we want to go. I mean, sure, it's the sure. same thing with like, that's why to me, like people like, uh, like Nelson Mandela, like all the horrible things that happened to Nelson Mandela, you would think like Nelson Mandela would be one of the like most racist people ever, but he wasn't. He was like, you know, and, and it's really sad to see like what's happened to South Africa in that Nelson Mandela wanted, he wanted the white people to stay. He saw them as fellow South Africans, right? And then yeah. he wanted to build this rainbow society, right? Like he wanted to build this super like, yeah. You know, it, yeah. Now it seems it's it's so far past what he wanted to create, right? But I think many people 
forget that. I think there are people still in South Africa, you know, that still want to create that society. I have uh, I have a friend. Is, uh, I have a friend from South Africa. I'm going to try and get him on this podcast. Uh, he's a white guy, and I, and I would love to hear his take on. The current situation in South Africa, you know, there's a big movement uh, to get white people off of uh, off of land. Um, yeah. To me, it's to me, it's a terrifying situation. I don't know how you can be white and dare to live in South Africa. Africa. So yeah. I want to get I want to get this guy's opinion and in, in his uh, his view and his experiences on what's happening down there. But it's an interesting yeah. situation. But yeah, uh, one one thing I, I just want to go back to the whole thing about um, uh, white privilege and people's perception of white privilege in America. You know, you mentioned uh, Jaden Smith. You know. Uh, yeah. And how successful he is. He's filthy rich, multimillionaire, uh, to be so young. Uh, <clears throat> and you could say he's made it. Yes, he has made it. But we can't erase the fact that Jaden Smith, regardless of how successful he is, he is still going to get hit in the face from time to time with racism. Yeah, like I said, yeah, and, he's still yeah. going to have to deal with that from but time to time. I, and I, I remember there was a bit that uh, Chris Rock did on one of his specials where he was talking about he lives in um, some fancy neighborhood outside of New York City. I can't remember where. It was someplace on Long Island or something like that. <clears throat> and he said there's there's four black people that live in that neighborhood. What, what Wealthiest area uh, of, of the New York City area. Uh, he said there's um, he's he's there, you know, supposedly one of the top, mm -hmm. you know, top comics ever. Uh, there's Mary J. Blige, who lives in that neighborhood, one of the top, mm -hmm. you know, female R&B uh, vocalists and musicians. There is uh, Shaquille O'Neal, maybe one of the best basketball players. So mm -hmm. he's like, you know, you can live there as a black person, but you've got to be the best at what you do in order to live there. He says, yeah. you know, and then he says, you know who my neighbor is? He's a white guy and he's a dentist. He yeah. didn't, he didn't invent teeth. He's not the best dentist in the yeah. world, but he's able to have the generational wealth yeah. to live in that neighborhood. But the black yeah. people who live there, there's no generational wealth and they have to be the yeah. best at what they do. I think that, you yeah. know, it's, it's a funny bit. It's a lot. Fun he said it a lot funnier than, than what I did, but it's a funny bit, but it also has so much realism and it. It's, it just, it, yeah. it puts a light on what right white privilege is and how you can't really, you can't look and say, well, here's a black man or woman who has made it, and here's a white man or woman who has made it, they're equal. Their experiences are equal. Their experiences yeah. are very seldom equal yeah. because of yeah, the racial because. undertones that, they, that, that are in our society. It's a sad yeah, thing. It's a sad thing, yeah, but it's a real yeah. situation, and, and, and I think people, you know, you and I are having a discussion about it, and I wish there was more discussion about it instead of finger-pointing. Yeah, and I think it, it goes to, I think it's, that's what people don't understand about the generational, because there's a difference between wealth and being rich. I think he even talked about this himself, yes, right? Yes, he did. So, like, yeah. obviously the basketball player, Shaquille O'Neal, is rich. Jaden Smith is rich because they, like, it's all, I don't want to say they hit the lotto, but because they obviously did a lot of hard work to be where they had to be, right? But no. like they, he said, there, they're all exceptional people, yes. right? Which got them to that position in life. The dentist isn't exceptional, I mean, he's he still has a skill set and everything. Sure, right? sure. He, he did the work. He, he did the work. He got his education. Get, yeah, yeah, he did the. Yeah, he did the work. Built that his was practice. Required to get that. Built his practice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So it's not like somebody just gave him something, but he got. He did start off with more in life, more than likely, right? It could be the case he didn't, but more than likely he probably did, right? And that generational wealth is passed down because if you look at 
you know, what, you know, most millionaires in the United States are not people who are basketball players or anything right. like that, right? right? Most millionaires are people who work in upper corporate America, right? Yeah. And of course, being in corporate America, I can tell you yeah. the jobs that I've had, there are very, I mean, they're, they're there, but there are very few African-Americans that yeah. are there. You see it, right? yeah. You, you, you see them, but they're, they're far and few between, yes. right? Because yeah. of the fact that, you know, and most, and there's, there's some white women that are on there, right? But, and, you know, but in terms of minorities, like they're there, but there's like a sprinkling of them. Yeah. The vast majority are all, even myself, like as a younger white guy, even my, myself in corporate America, I'm a minority to a certain extent because most of them are, are, are yes. white guys and they're 40s and 50s. And that's like the predominant, like what it is, right? Yeah. And on my team, you know, it's mostly like for my sales team, it's mostly white guys. And that's not, it's not saying, it's not anything against them. I'm not saying, because I know people are already in the comments type of way. I'm not saying they did anything wrong to be where they are in life. I'm just saying that the way that the United States was developed yeah. and we have to accept the fact that like well, we had the- slavery in this country for, for over 200 years. And then after that we had, you know, there was an attempt, there was an honest, and I think that's the other thing is that people don't, or a lot of, I think African-Americans, they talk about it sometimes, but many African-Americans don't talk about there were a lot of white people who tried to change the system. They sure. failed, right? Well, the first but years after tried. the first years after the Civil War, there was an explosion of yeah, black was, of black influence in uh, in politics all over the country, yeah. north and south. Yeah, uh, yeah there was Reconstruction. Exactly, which, it's just which did not work out. Yeah, it's <laughs> just that. Yeah, it's just that it didn't work out. There were these uh, fellas yeah. in white robes and uh, hoods. Yeah, Ku Klux Klan who started. Yeah, to, there were there were yeah there were a bunch of terrorist organizations yeah. and. The South basically went into terrorist mode, and these people, because they did not want the social system upset, and then basically that fighting went on for 10 years. I mean, because it's something that we don't really talk about in American history, but you basically had a rebellion, a a minor terrorist kind of war that was going on in the South. It was was about 10, 10, 15 years of pretty intense. Yeah, tense. And the federal government was trying to hold it down. Yeah. And... You know, they just were like, it was kind of like Vietnam. They were just like, you know, we were just tired of doing this. And again, and again, for the listeners, and again, for the listeners, this is after the Civil War. The Civil War, People think that these kind of things was just related to the Civil War. This is after the Civil War. Once Reconstruction was, uh, was up and going. And then, uh, and then came the protests from the, from the diehard uh, Confederates. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Was it because they, I mean, because that was the the whole, I mean, that I hate, I don't want to bring up the whole Civil War, but that's another thing that upsets me like the civil war was not fought for states i mean i'm sure somebody's gonna say all states rights the the state rights i mean there was an element of state rights but the state right was to own other people that was the state right that they were worried about that they all wrote into the new constitutions right into the confederate constitution which you can go read online like one of the first paragraphs says we should be able to own people Right. Bottom line. So states' rights, and again, again, states' rights. Yes, it had to do with states' rights, but the right to own (laughs) slaves, own people. Yeah, Yeah, that was the major one because they wanted. Because and the thing is too, I think people don't realize because the other thing is people are saying, well. That's true, Jeff, but most people didn't own slaves. And that is 100% true. But most most people people in the South did not own slaves. True, but But the fear wasn't not. But if just, um, I think my point is the fear is not that. Uh, that not that 
not that the slaves would. So the, the fear was, if you read the Southern Secession documents, that slaves would become free. If slaves become free, that means that they can marry who they want. If they can marry white women, then they're going to have an amalgamation of the races, right? That was what they always ended with, and especially in their speeches, an amalgamation of the races, right? Even if, uh, I forget his name offhand, but the vice president of the Confederacy, Jeff, Jeff Davis's vice president, um, Alexander Stevens. Stevens, yeah. Yeah, he point blank about it. He was like, this is to maintain the white race being in charge, and if we don't do this fight... Black people are going to come. They're going to take over, and we're going to be a mongoloid race, and it's going to be the end of the world. So, if people would just take, if people would just take half a minute and educate themselves, all of this stuff is there. You know, uh, Stevens' speeches on that very subject. I mean, you can look yeah. it up. It's it's all it's all right there. You can yeah. read it in these documents. You know, from the from the different state uh, constitutions and from the yeah. from the conf Confederate uh, uh, Constitution and what they stood for. It's all right there. But what is this thing that we're living through? today where people refuse new not well it's not even new knowledge when people refuse uh, to, to become aware of the knowledge that's out there i think some people are just afraid to admit that they're wrong is it that simple well i, I don't i think it's it's not that well i think there's partly it's admit that they're wrong but the other part is they don't feel guilty right because they Back feel the like they got because, yes because the thing is and i understand this i was born in the north right so obviously my side one we were we, you know we were john brown and the rest of the crazies who were you know going down there to start a, i mean that was the other thing is john brown basically kicked off the whole civil war to a certain yes, he extent did. Yeah. which nobody talks about you know john brown was like he had god came to him and was like you need to free the african-americans he took him and his son took guns down to the south and was like okay we're gonna need to arm you for a rebellion and that's because then the South was like, oh, well, they're going to try to free black people. These northerners are crazy. We need to start arming up. Right. Yeah. But um, beyond that, I think the thing is in the South, they take a lot of pride in their heritage. And I think when you're born into that, I think it's hard because everything you're being told since the time you're a little boy is these are our heroes. These are who we, this is what we fought for. Blah blah blah. Right? Yeah. And well, how do you feel as a historian uh, when you when it's it's been uh, it's been documented that uh, especially in Texas they're trying to actually rewrite literally rewrite the history right. books. Yeah. They're changing things, and it seems yeah, to be like, kind of you know, subtle. Like and call slavery like employment. Or yeah, yeah. Black people worked. <laughs> so black people worked yeah. for their uh, employers instead of yeah. These colored folk were slaves. You know, instead of saying it's yeah. straightforward, they're 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 prettying it up, and and I don't know what. How are they getting away with that? What what is what is wrong with our society that 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 there's something that would allow that to happen? What's your thoughts on that as a historian? I think my feeling is it goes back to the guilt thing because they don't want to feel like back to the America. Guilt. America is a bad place. My ancestors did something bad. I'm bad, right? And it's it's not the the thing is again you don't have to understand it like that, right? Like slavery in general is bad. Slavery during the Roman Empire was bad and the romans were enslaving all kinds of people they didn't care, care about but slavery is bad you don't want to be a slave right it's something that happened throughout history everyone had slaves at one time or another but slavery is bad right you can accept the fact that you know what my great-grandfather fought for the confederacy you know that was that was that's not my decision that wasn't that was that was the time he grew up that was who he was yeah. it was a bad thing 
but that's what they were doing. And I mean, obviously there were other things involved. They felt like they were defending their land, right? It was a complex time. People had different ideas then, but that doesn't mean that you have yourself have to invest in those ideas from over 150 years ago. You can say, you know what? My great grandfather was wrong, right? It doesn't have any bearing on my life today, right? I I don't have any control of that. I don't have a time machine go back. But what I can do is recognize what happened and what the situation is. You just need to recognize the reality of what happened. And then take it a step further and do something to, to fix it. Do something to clean it up. Uh, and again, I don't think well, that has I to think, be, I don't, and again, I don't think I, that I, I agree, but I think the easier thing to me is just have people first recognize the reality of what it was, right? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that's the easier step, right? Sure. Like, you sure. know, because asking them to clean it up, I think is, is, is harder because well, you got to crawl before you, you walk just, and then you got to walk exactly. before you run. And Absolutely. You know, you know, that's why my thing is easier. It's just understand what the reality is and treat all people fairly. Right. That's what the reality of the situation was, you know. You, I mean, because to a certain extent, I feel like you can you you. I mean, you can do things. That's why I say just do what you think is fair. But you can never really fix that, right? Right? Like you can't. I mean, you 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 can. I mean, you, well, you again, can't fix the past, but you can make the present uh, a lot more comfortable for everybody. Well, yeah, that's and that's why yeah. I say you should treat everyone yeah. fairly. So, like exactly. when when you pass away and when your ancestors remember you they'll be like, well, these people back then were fair, right? Yeah. Like they were fair. Like they, yeah. they try to do the right thing. Like people remember. So now, and that's the thing is, I think part of the problem we have in this country is that the South remembers, they hold up their civil war leaders, right? Yes, Lee, they do, Jackson, yeah. all those people. And in the North and the rest of the country, we don't really hold up the people that, you know, you don't have anybody. No one's talked. No one talks about John Brown, what he did. Right. Nobody talks about that. Like, you know, and nobody talks about Grant or you know, Sherman or I mean, Grant, some of these guys still had their racist ideas, but they were still like, you shouldn't you, you shouldn't break away from the union. And this is the law or, you know, whatever. Or Lincoln. Right. Like people who are much better examples. Right. Like, so, for instance, you know, a lot of these people, these complaining, oh, you're going to take it down the lease statue. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take down the lease statue or we're going to replace it with a with a general grant statue or an Abraham Lincoln statue. Yeah, right. Yeah. Then let's see what the Southerners have to say. Cause that's, that's our history too. Sure. Right? We, we, are you going to protest that? You know what? That's that a good different? point. Instead of just taking them down, take them down, but replace them with, yeah. As you say, a, a, right. a, a Lincoln or Grant or, yeah. You know, we, we should John say, Brown. okay, well, who, John Brown. Yeah. I'd love to see what they have to say about the John Brown statue. Right. Or, you know, we will keep your statue there, but we're going to put for every Lee statue, we're going to put a Grant statue across the street. Exactly. Cause that's our history too. That's right? our history. What that's our heritage. That? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You know, how many, how many Abraham or how many uh, Martin Luther King statues do we have up? Yeah. I mean, I'm only aware yeah. of one, right? Yeah. You know, the, the, this whole, this whole fucking statue thing, sorry. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it does represent a core, I mean, it represents a period of our history. Like some of these guys, like, you know, Robert E. Lee was a complicated figure. You know, he, the funny thing is he wrote down, he's like, I don't want to have, which is the ironic thing is he said himself from the records that I read, he said, I don't want to have any statues to me. That's right. I've read that as well. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's yeah. like, I don't want to have any statues to me. This was a bad period of our history and yep. we need to move on. Yep. And if anything, I think that's maybe some of the things that we need to honor about Robert E. Lee 
or the things that we could find to honor about him is that he was he really tried, especially General Longstreet. There were these guys really tried after the war. I mean, because yeah, some of them like Forrest went on to create Ku Klux Klan and do the wrong thing. But we had some of them that were like, you know what? It's over. We lost. We tried. It's time to for us to all be Americans again. And even he, specifically Robert E. Lee, like you know, he went. uh, I think it was a week or two weeks after the war, and he went and prayed next to an African American guy. Right. Well, I saw that huge deal. Yeah. And I saw back in yeah yeah yeah. not just that kind of thing just didn't happen. And then here you have the guy who was yeah yeah. But I saw I saw trying to say you know. We need to move on. We need to, like, you know, bind up the wounds. Well, I saw something on the news. This was way back during the uh, McCain, uh, when McCain was making a run for the presidency. Um, when was that? 2012, 20, yeah, 11 or so? 2008, John McCain. Eight, yeah, 2008. Yeah, yeah, 2008, yeah. And during that time, something came up about the statues and whatnot, and I believe it was Lee's great-great-grandson or something came on and did a series of, of interviews on, on Fox News, on CNN, uh, MSNBC, mm-hmm. and he was telling people to just chill out with the statue stuff because his great-great-great-grandfather never wanted, he, he, he specifically, he, never wanted, yeah. he, he, he brought it up that he specifically said those are the kind of things that we don't need now after the Civil yeah. War. So, well, yeah. we don't, one thing I want to ask you, we're, we're, as we wind down here, we got about five or six minutes left. Um, yeah. Your podcast... Uh, history of the Cold War podcast. Yeah. Um, now you have a background in history. That's what you you have a master's degree in history. But why focus yeah. on the Cold War? That's an interesting choice for a man of your age. Sure. So I think the reason why the, you know why would you focus on the Cold War? Why would you be interested in that? I think the thing is that the Cold War really, as as I was growing up and as I started to understand the issues I was looking at at the time, like the invasion of Iraq, the war on terror, a lot of the situation, our world today, a lot of it, you know, like NATO, why Russia is the way it is, why China is the way it is, yeah. you know, again, in general, why the the world's economy, like, you know, people talk about neoliberal capitalism, you know, they have all these discussions about other economic systems, why is the world the way it is today? Yeah. And the reason is, a lot of that is, has its roots in the Cold War and what was going on during that conflict that took place basically for 40 years, right? And that explains, you know, w- you know why, you know, w- you know, why is Ronald Reagan so popular? Yeah. Why, why, does, why do conservatives believe what they believe? And now it's a little bit different post-Trump, but in lead up to him, but there's still some of those elements in there. Um, why, you know, why is it that way, right? And I think if you understand the Cold War, you understand the dynamics of that time, right? You get yeah. a really good understanding of why our politics are the way they are today, not just in America, but around the world and the geocomp, you know, and our economics too. You know, why, yeah. you know, why are our, why are our economies more free market, liberal, democratic, uh, neoliberalism, Versus, you know, socialists. Or why? Do, why aren't there socialist? A lot of many socialist countries. You know, what happened? You know, what happened with, with communism? Why? You know, because people today, especially people in my age group, and even the, the group coming after me, are asking a lot of these questions about yeah. Marxism and socialism. You have Bernie Sanders, and and I think if you listen to that podcast, we start getting into a lot of those questions about how our current world came to be. I see. 
Now that uh, podca- podcast requires a lot of research. Um, is that why you you only put out what two episodes a month? Roughly? Yeah. So we yeah we only put out two episodes a month, um, and it, it yeah it requires a lot of research. I have to do. I mean, some of it I already know, but I obviously I have to check my sources and I have to write up a script and you know lay everything out and we're that's going right yeah the, it's scripted yeah. yeah so that takes a lot yeah, of production it's, time it so it takes time for me to type up the script yeah. i have a producer that i work with he helps me to put to put it together um and what we do is uh we we basically we're going through the cold war chronologically covering all the topics so we just believe it or not we've been doing the show for four years but we just entered the um 81st episode and you're on the 81st on, episode now, right? Yeah, we're on 81st yeah. episode right now. So we're, we're, we're talking about um, McCarthyism and the second Red Scare uh, at this point. And what would that what would that what that was like in the country at that time? Is there right? any, and the forces behind it? Is there anything going on in today's uh, United States that can mirror or be uh, compared to McCarthyism? You know, there's an interesting connection yeah. about McCarthyism, which I just recently found out about yeah. in the process of doing the show. So Roy Cohen, who was, he was a very infamous lawyer, and he was the lawyer who persecuted or prosecuted the Rosenbergs, who were eventually, they were, from what we understand, they were guilty in retrospect, but the case was like a, a mess, right? It, it was, was a big spy um, uh a big spy case, was it not? Yeah. You're so talking the, about the husband and wife background. team. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Yeah. So the, the Rosenbergs was a husband and wife team. Yeah. Um, they had been recruit. They were basically American communists, yeah. and they uh, they had uh, the uh, Julius Rosenberg, the husband, had joined the U.S. Army. Uh, they had been recruited by the NKVD, which is the Soviet KGB at the time. They they changed the name on and off, yeah. and. They were basically spying for the Soviets, and they, and then uh, his wife, Julius's Ethel Rosenberg, uh, her maiden name was Greenglass. She, her brother, ended up working at Los Alamos National Laboratory on the atomic bomb, and they recruited their brother to the program along with some other physicists who basically got information back to the Soviets to help them build their atomic bomb. So they are basically and, the 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 thread from the U.S. nuclear program to the Soviets. And basically, yes. it's because of them that the Soviets were able to uh, achieve yeah. nuclear capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. So for yeah. a large part, yeah, there were others. Just to give, just to give listeners the background on that. Yeah. Yeah. So then, what happened was at the time we had broken for a short period of time we had broken Soviet diplomatic codes and this thing called the ONA, right, which is a computer program. Obviously, early computer program. I use the word computer in air quotes. Yeah. yeah. And when they had broken this code through this program called the Yona, we could read the decrypts and we figured out, you know, who one of the, the scientists were and it went through a series of, basically we were able to prove that the Rosenbergs were guilty, but the government and the FBI didn't want to release this information that we had cracked their codes because we didn't want them to know what we have. Right. right. So we couldn't charge them on that. So we basically found these other you know, causes to persecute, prosecute them. And the FBI, uh, or eventually it was a, just a preordained thing. Like there was a trial, but this trial was just so, you know, that basically they brought in Apple's brother who basically he, he confessed to being a spy and then he confessed to passing information on to his brother-in-law and his sister. 
and then they got found guilty and then they were executed. And they were the only people, I think, I'm pretty sure they were the only people recently in American history that got executed for espionage right. by electric chair. Right. And it was super controversial at the yeah. time. Obviously, people on the left were like, oh, they're just being prosecuted because they didn't know, again, because the government didn't de- declassify this about the Viona decrypts until 1995. Yeah. So at the time, you know, people were like, and for years afterwards, I remember uh, in the early 90s when I was in school, people were still saying that this was a travesty and everything else, right, on the left, that this was just a witch hunt. But anyways, um, Roy Cohen, who prosecuted these people, uh, actually went on after this, and he was one of Donald Trump's mentors in the early 1980s, right? Yes. So there is a direct like connection between this time. Isn't I mean, that interesting? It, yeah, it just it's just sort of you know. And the thing is, like when you do more and more research for history, you see these people like pop up, and you see <laughs> these connections between people and these yeah. things that were going on. So you know, and McCarthyism was one of those periods in American history where there was a real danger. There was an espionage threat. But people were also using that threat for their own political ends, right? The Republicans had been out of power for 20 years at that point, roughly speaking, since the Great Depression, since they had lost. And they were like, well, we need to get at the Democrats with something. And this was something, this was a tool for them to get at the Democrats because there were a lot of, not a lot, but there were a good number of socialists that were in the Democratic Party um, because they were at attracted to Roosevelt's New Deal. And during the 30s, communism wasn't a big concern right. because the United States was trying to deal with the, with the Depression. But obviously, during the Cold War, socialism became a big deal again, right? Because these people were actively working against American interests, and we had to get rid of them. So the... the and because... But is that is aware, but yeah, is that applicable kind of. today? Because social, socialism is such a dirty word. Uh, that is a... Oh, yeah. uh, that's a... That's a metaphorical whip that people on the right yeah. have to try and lash yeah. people on the left with. Oh, and you're a socialist or you have socialist ideas. The, yeah. I, and part of the reason why is because of McCarthyism, because the government at that time and society in general convinced people, because the thing is everyone, it was, a, it was the government literally tried to, to attach socialism and criminal together. They yeah. wanted people to think socialist criminal bad. Right, because obviously we were in a contest with, with the the communists at the time, and liberal Democrats did not push back against this label because they, on one hand, recognized the threat that the Soviet Union obviously presented, and what these their fellow former fellow, you know, com- allies were doing. So why would so, you think that socialism is such a dirty word today? Because there is no Soviet Union. Uh, at least not by name. At least not by name. Yeah. There is no Soviet. There is no Soviet Union. But I would say, especially for older Americans, which makes up the majority of our voting base, the right, shadow is still there. The shadow is still there, I see. and it will. And, and so the thing is, too, socialism comes with a lot of baggage, right? Because it's not like it's not an. I mean, people are like, you know, you have many people say. Well, you know, it wasn't tried before applicably or something like that. Now, there are socialist parties in Western Europe that are not like other socialist countries. But if you look at socialism in China, Cuba, Venezuela, like many other places, East Germany, 
uh, Yugoslavia, like the, it, it, it was a hard-nosed, repressive system that killed a lot right. of people. And that's true. So, but what about democratic people, socialism in, here in Norway, for example? Why, in a, well, you know, why, doesn't Bernie, not, why doesn't Bernie Sanders Nor and those people yeah. step up and say, okay, socialism, yeah, and here's what it is. And then they can describe well, so the it. Is, yeah. But I would say that, that, that so that's that's another big argument though because he, even the because he's you know he cites Denmark a lot right and even Denmark kind of, the, the prime minister came out and said we're not socialists right like so the thing is and that's the thing is like now in the modern context the idea or the understanding of what socialism is has changed so to me when you talk about okay what is you talk to me about socialism and even AOC has said this in, in different interviews when you talk to me I'm thinking textbook socialism what I had to read in, in grad school when I had to read the giant thick uh, yeah. Marx's uh, uh, das Kapital, right? When I was sitting there spending my Saturday nights reading Das Kapital, right? That's what I understand socialism <laughs> is, is, you know, the, the workers control the means of production and you, and, or is it Marxist Leninism, right? Like I'm all of those academic debates. So you, you talk to me, you, people today are like, or other young people I engage with and they're like, well, I want free healthcare and I want access to public education. That's to me, it's not socialism, right? That's a social safety net. Right. So, well, is it safe to call say, that? Is it safe to call that uh, democratic socialism or social democracy? Then, I would say personally, I mean, they're they're all euphemisms, but I would say to me, it's more social democracy because you have a. But even the United States in the 1930s, right? You can have a capitalist system and have a social safety net. Exactly. Like they're not. I think the thing is people think that they're somehow mutually exclusive. Like right. if you have a roaring capitalist economy, you can't have a social safety net. You just, so, no, you can, you, you just tax, you just set up the, the mechanisms and the structures to have it. Like it's not like, and if you have a social safety net, it doesn't mean that capitalism can't exist. Or that exactly. You and that's what I, yeah, the economy. But I think people are now saying like, well, you know, and I think too, there are people social, there, there are, you know, hardcore communist people sure, who are absolutely. more radical, who see this as an opportunity because they're saying, well, people don't understand that. So there's, they're using it because yeah. they think that the government should control the economy. Yeah. That it should be a command economy, right? Because yeah. they think that it won't function properly without a command economy. My belief is that you can have a social safety net, which we did in the United States for a long time until we started to, to disassemble it or we moved, I think, too far in the other direction. Yeah. You, you can and still maintain a capitalist system. And Norway is a perfect example. Does Norway have a social safety yet? Yes, but Norway has a pretty capitalist society. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they, so they, is it a messaging problem yeah. then from the uh, Democrats in America that they should say, uh, no, we're not talking about socialism, but we're talking about uh, democratic socialism in the sense of a safety net, in the sense of certain regulations to ensure you know, that are put in place for the betterment yeah, I think of politically, of the, personally, I wouldn't even use it. I mean, if I was a politician, like Bernie Sanders probably could have won the election. Personally, I feel he could have won. I think his adherence to the socialist title and his adherence to, well, it's to his own Castro and yeah. what happened, what was happening in China, his adherence to those ideas scare a lot of people. Sure. Right. Especially sure. the older generation. Right. Sure. Because when you, they remember, especially people in Florida, you know, the Cuban community, remember what happened when Fidel Castro came to power, right? And all those people who were lined up in the parks and got their brains blown out. Yeah, he taught people to read, but that came at a cost, right? So, I mean, people are like, yeah, I want free healthcare, but I don't want my neighbors executed in the front lawn, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that Bernie Sanders would have done that. 
but that's the perception, and especially people on the right are were going to make that that perception, right? So if you would have said, "I'm not a socialist. I just think this is what we should do. We should have we should have health care. We need to establish a, a a third New Deal, something like of that nature, right?" I wish he would have done that. Did, I wish that right? guy would have got elected. Yeah, I mean, because that's what FDR did. FDR was like, "We need a New Deal. We need to be able to help." build a social safety net in case people fall in hard times or old people aren't dying on the streets or eating canned cat canned food right like that that was how he won right like but i think when you wrap those kinds of messages like it would be especially for people on the right and they hear socialism that the word is obviously very intimidating it comes to the history that would be like people on the right saying you know what i want democratic nazism Right, like <laughs> yeah, you can't. Just I get it. Yeah. the second word, yeah. right? Like, right. You know, like, and they were like, "Well, you know, what happened on the Third Reich was wrong with the Holocaust and everything, but we're gonna do, we're gonna do it different this time, right?" Yeah. People are gonna be like, "What?" Or democratic fascism, right? Like, right. people would be like, "No, you can't know because it comes with baggage." And I think people on the left don't realize. I should go out there you know, as a democratic. Who grew the, up? In, I should go out there as a democratic up, Jim Crow yeah. candidate. Yeah, you know, so people, especially people who grew up in Cambodia or people yeah. like my wife who come from China, when you people who come from Cuba, when you use that word socialism, it, like yeah, they yeah. are understanding it from their context exactly. of what they grew up in real socialist systems. Yeah. And you may tell them that's not real socialism, but they but don't. the word is going to ring in their it. mind. The word's going to, yeah. yeah, and they're going to be like, well, I don't want any part of that, right? So when you when you march under that banner, you have to realize the history that comes with that banner that's for better kind of, or worse. Yeah. That's, um, that's kind of like how, uh, Trump tried to rebrand the word nationalist. Yeah. Tried to yeah. turn that into yeah, a good thing. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's not going to work. You know, the word is the word yeah. in its context is going to still, uh, resonate the way it always has for, for, yeah, for decades. Yeah. Because I think, you know, nationalism, because, you know, you have nationalist Spain, you have you know, nationalism has traditionally been like a right wing aspect. Right, right. I sort of understand what he was saying. Cause he was talking about more like patriotism. And I think there is a level of patriotism that's required because nationalism, in a sense, is not necessarily a bad thing. If but I'm sure someone, streams, but I'm sure someone in his advisor, you know, in his cabinet, some advisor told him, hey, this is why people are getting so upset when you're using that word nationalist, because this is what it means. I'm sure someone yeah. told him that, but he just well, digs he in and doubles down. Controversial, well, I think, yeah, he loves to double down. I think the other thing is he has more controversial figures around him, people like Steve Bannon or Stephen Miller, right, who are these very controversial kind of hard right kind of figures who yeah, yeah. they are embrace these types of philosophies. So, you know, for them, they, they almost want to trigger people. They, they want to say nationalist because that is that it's clearly defining where they stand and what they believe in. Right. What, so what's your prediction for November? As a man of history, you've seen the ebb and flow in the history, political world. I will tell you what history tells me, but I think we are living in very, you know, I think each generation thinks they are living in extraordinary times, but I honestly think this is an extraordinary time. So we have once a once in a century or so pandemic, you know, that is happening during the middle of the election, 
So I don't know how that's going to affect things. The other caveat I would throw out there is I don't know. We have had foreign interference in our elections before, but not like this. I think what the FSB or the Russian intelligence services and what other intelligence services are capable of doing now, they haven't been capable of doing before. I think the other caveat I would throw out there is that the the media landscape is so diverse and so splintered, it's hard to people a lot of people are in echo chambers and it's hard to make sense of what's going on. Yeah. Right. You you, you used to have three major channels who give you and that's why you saw major like, you know, the, the landslides that we saw with Richard Nixon in seventy two or, or Reagan in eighty four, those types of just almost every state votes for that type of president. Yeah. I think those we are probably unlikely to see that again anytime in the near future, right? Where America is totally united behind one party or idea. All that being said, I think that Donald Trump is going to lose, in my opinion. And I could 100% be wrong, but this is the reason I say that he is. I think if you, one, look at the numbers that we have and what history tells us is that no president that's two big things that I see. One is... No president that's been this unpopular leading up to his real leading up to the election has ever been reelected. Right. It's just that just hasn't happened. I think the other thing is the economy, like the last two presidents who tried to run in a down economy. And by all estimates, because of the pandemic, we're going to have the worst economy since the Great Depression, if not worse, given the unemployment numbers. Right. Yeah, Yeah. So given the example of Jimmy Carter and George Bush, the first, I don't think that he's going to be able to come back from that. I mean, he, it's going to, it's going to be, it's not impossible for him to win because obviously he's going to try to win like he did last time with an electoral victory, but it's going to be really, really hard to walk that line because he basically has to keep everything he won last time, right? He can't lose anything. He has to basically maintain the hold on all the states that he had. And it would appear and, that things have gotten worse for him in some of the key states, much worse yes, than they were leading yes, up to the I previous election. At this moment, yeah. it looks like he's worse. Now, granted, something could always change. And, right? the, the, and Jimmy Carter and Bush the first are no Donald Trump. Now, I, I am not a fan yeah. of Donald Trump, but there is something rather... I can use the word remarkable about him. Uh, he's he's he, an anomaly. He, he is, he's, he's, you can't compare, I don't know, he's so weird. <laughs> the whole situation around him is so weird. It, I don't think it can be compared uh, to any previous president. I get, I get the, the, the comparison uh, yeah. leading up to this election. It can be compared with, with yeah. Bush the first and with Carter. I get that. But again, there's something so different yeah, and, and so crazy and that, uh, about yeah. Trump and that that's, it's, that's why I say I, you know, kinda, I, I say uh, this is what history tells me. But, but you won't bet on it. We are living in unprecedented times because he is very charismatic. I mean, he's that's the one thing he has. And most of the times in elections, people vote for the person who's charismatic, and he definitely has that in spades, right? You may not like what he says. You may think he's, you know, whatever. But he, you have to admit, the man People is charismatic. Like him. His base, uh, his base is oh, his there, base, solid. His, they, his base is loyal. And then the other thing that he has is he, um, he is very, um, he has a very shrewd understanding of the media and how to craft a narrative, right? Does, and how uh, to change the message, right? More so than any other president I've ever seen. I mean, he's had horrible things happen to him. Uh, he got impeached. And he was able to make the whole impeachment into him being a victim, right? And and we're pretty sure he was guilty of what they were saying he was guilty of. And he said, and his lawyers argued that he is 
he's above the law, right? And his, and, and which kills me because most of the time Republicans would be, would not, I mean, but you, you almost have the Republican party to a certain extent backing a monarchist kind of perspective yeah. that. And that just blows my is, mind. I think that's just, the yeah, world is turned upside just, down when things like yeah. that start happening. It's, 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 yeah. Crazy times. Yeah, it is definitely crazy times. And he has such a, a vice grip over the Republican party and over his base that it is, he is, it's, they're, they're, they're totally scared to say anything against him or to go against him. So I, I, he has his base, but I think I'm with you. I'm going to predict, uh, I won't bet on it, but I will predict that, uh, he's, he's going to be moving on to something else come November. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I mean, because the thing is too, he's lost a lot with obviously the women's vote. He's lost a lot there. He's lost a lot in the suburbs. He's lost a lot of college-educated whites. I mean, he basically has his base of uneducated white workers, right? But I don't know if that's enough, right, to, to be able to win those states again. And the thing is, now granted, maybe Biden somehow extremely, uh, he offends African-Americans somehow, and they all just decide they're not going to turn out. I mean, I doubt that, but... It's been pretty crazy recently, so I'm, I'm just gonna, gonna sh- I'm just gonna give a shout better. out. Yeah, I'm gonna give a shout out to Black America. Uh, <laughs> both of you who are out there listening to me, if <laughs> no, I you know I, I joke, but but in all seriousness, I don't understand, and I don't know the numbers, but I'm gonna assume that it's less than three percent of Black Americans are supporting Donald Trump. And I can't imagine there being more than that. The man is quite obviously, if not anti-black, he is far from pro-black. Oh, yeah. I think that's a well. It's to me like he's he's just he's not even. I mean, the thing to I guess in my mind is that he is his primary concern is himself, and then after that, immediate family. There you go. So yeah, I mean. I don't even know. If he's he, not pro know, anything. He's 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 in it yeah, for, he's his, for he's pro Donald Trump, right? <laughs> and what his image is. I think he, you know, be, beyond that, his, you know, his, especially and the thing is his competency level. I mean, the way that he's handled this pandemic, you know, just my humble opinion, hasn't been the, the best. Yeah. And you know, we're trying to live through what's going on here. It's just. So, yeah, <laughs> we we agree I too much. I, I want to find I want to find somebody who is just a blazing uh, MAGA hat wearing Trump support. I want to get somebody like that on here and just and and you know, without all the foolishness and the 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 hyperactivity that that you find on social media, I just want to talk to a diehard Trump supporter and just let them you know, state their I, case. What? Because yeah. I, tr- I truly, and I don't say this to try to be funny, I'm not saying this to try to talk down to Trump supporters, but I truly cannot understand why they support that man. He is the most, well, I'm not going to say what I think he is, but I, I, yeah. I'll leave it there. I don't understand I don't understand why people support him. I really don't. I don't see what uh, they yeah, see in him. I, I, you know, I've had a few conversations with people in reference to that. I don't understand. I... I haven't heard anything to really change my mind. I try to always be a very open-minded person about me too. You know, the one thing I me have too. heard that kind of makes sense to me is that he, you know, he follows more or less the conservative agenda. He's pretty really? tight on that in terms of, yeah, but does uh, he? this is what I, I have it. heard. No. It, it, well, so this is what they say. I mean, there's other elements that he doesn't follow, but they okay. have said, this is not my opinion. This is no, no, I've this heard. is what you've heard. They, yeah. 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 
So they say that he is very strong on, um, there's a, a, there's a perception that he's strong in defense. I disagree with this, but there is a perception that he's strong in defense. Um, and I would say that he, to me, he's been moderate on defense. I, I don't really see him strong in that, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, the other one is that he is, obviously there's a perception that he's good with the economy. Um, to me, I don't think, I don't give presidents, I give presidents some credit on the economy, but I think their decisions that they decide, it takes like four or five years for that to really start affecting the economy. Right? Yeah. So it's really hard to see in their first term how effective they've been in the economy. But I understand the norm, you either, you, you, with the economy thing, you live or die by it, right? And it's, most of the time it's not your fault. Right. But, so right. that's, it is what it is, right? So there, but they, some people give him credit for that. The other one is obviously the judges, which I, I, I see is that he has put in pretty conservative Supreme Court justices. So I guess that I, I see that. And then, um, you know, obviously if the religious freedoms, because they feel like that he, even though he is not religious himself, he's really gone to the bat and did everything he, they want him to do in regards to those freedoms. And they kind of see him as a transactional president not a person that they would tell their kids, like, I want you to grow up to be, but someone who, who gets the job done. I see. And so that's, that's their perception is like, okay, I'm going to vote for him because he gets the job done. I see. Um, personally, not to get too much away, I normally don't share. Obviously, in my podcast, I don't share my political opinions, but because it's not that type of podcast. No, you're just getting into but, the history on your podcast. Yeah, I'm yeah. just explaining what happened, who did yeah. what, where, yeah. and when. But with, with this, I just don't think that he... He's done. He's not. I mean, he just hasn't done a, a good job, in my in my honest opinion, yeah. of being a president. Um, from an organizational point of view, he, he doesn't seem like you know he runs roughshod over the bureaucracy. You know, he he's always involved in these fights, which don't get anything yeah. done. Yeah. I think you know he engages in this 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 banter of just you know and, I, and calling people names, which I don't think is in any way beneficial. You know, and I, you know, I, gave, I really gave him, I gave him a shot when he first became president. I know a lot of people were opposed. I said, well, you know, he's the president now. Well, I, I wanted him to, to succeed. I don't want our president I, to fail. Yeah, I want exactly. him to do a good job because that's going to be good for the country. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I wanted them to do a great job. I mean, but he, you know, his actions, his, his whole deal with Russia, which I don't understand. Oh, I do. They, they got some dirt on them. There's some dirt. Oh, yeah, I, oh. I suspect. I Absolutely. Agree. I suspect There's something there. There's something there. What it is, I don't understand. It's not natural. But it's an unnatural relationship. Yeah. yeah. Especially the way that he treats everyone else. Exactly. And the way he treats Putin. He it always treats out. him with such, yeah. yeah, differential. I think he's he's handled the whole China thing wrong, how he's dealt with them. I think I agree with his his temperament that they should be dealt with hardly. Right. I, I don't think that China is a, a friend. I do think China is a, a threat. I, I agree with his attitude on it. I just disagree with the way the that he goes about. Yeah. He doesn't build alliances to isolate them. He just tries. He fights everyone. He fights Canada. <laughs> he fights Mexico. He fights the Europeans. And I just don't think that that's a way to build alliances or get things done. Right. If fighting everyone isn't doesn't doesn't. No. You know, you you, you, need, you can only fight one war at a time, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. First deal with the bigger threat, and to me the bigger threat is China, and then worry about how Canada's not letting us sell eggs there, right? Like, the, you know, China is trying to steal intellectual property, and Canada's stopping, and they're trying to become, you know, the world superpower versus <laughs> Canada, who just won't let us sell their eggs there. There's uh, right. a proportionality to the situation, <laughs> right, which I think he loses sometimes, Um 
and again, like I said, the calling of the names, the the whole thing when we with uh, the what was it uh, in Virginia when he was like, well, you know, everyone's equal. What was that with uh, the, both sides? There's well, good people on both, both sides. sides. Yeah, yeah, there's good people on both sides. You know, there's no there's no good neo Nazis. Like there are there are no good Nazis. <laughs> like you know, there there are. And I mean, I didn't take that back. There were people who generally don't believe in it who tried to undermine the Nazi system, but they were stuck in it. But there are but no neo Nazis. There exactly. today. There yeah. are no people that were tr- that you know. If you were adhering to that philosophy, I'm sorry, you're not a good person. No, I just exactly. it's not. Yeah. yeah. So. You know those, those kinds of comment, those types of comments. His, you know, a couple of weeks back when he told people to drink bleach, you know that that those you're just endangering people, right? You know, the people are trying to look to you for an emergency, you know, to organize. I guess people are so not. quick. People are so quick to explain away um, gaffes like that. You know, they'll try to say, "Well, he didn't mean it like that. He meant it this way." You know, well, why are you a citizen trying to explain what your president really meant? He said what he said, and people yeah, well, are going to I be would, people are going to be misled by that. People are going to take it uh, uh, unfiltered and then go out and and and, and try that. I mean, there's there's a, he, that, yeah. that man has to take responsibility for yeah. what he says, and it seems like he just says whatever the first thing that comes to his mind. I don't know if it's in intentional or is is he is, yeah. is the man too old for office is he is he starting to babble you know uh i don't i, just, I don't know but the thing he, the thing is, me, is that's just who he is well that's and, just and, who he is but, but what gets me what gets me that. yeah what gets me though is that his base will try to explain it away but yeah well so the what i would ask that i mean because the thing is and i always ask myself this too because you do you always have to put your shoe on the other foot to see if you're being fair. And I don't think that they, we do that enough in America is if, if it had been Obama who had said something like that, <laughs> would you have accepted it? No. And would you be right to accept it? Or, I mean, no, it would like if Obama had something like that and, and obviously the right would be going nuts and they would be well within the rights. Yeah. I would yeah. just, just, just to say that has Obama done things and especially I didn't vote for Obama. Right. Like I didn't, I voted for McCain and um, Mitt Romney. Right. I, I voted, Rep- I was a pretty, you know, straight Republican. I mean, I had, I guess I was more left, leftish center Republican, but okay. I voted for both those guys. Yeah. And, you know, the same thing right now with the same thing I think is funny to me is what ha- what's happened to Romney. When Romney ran in 2012, <laughs> they basically made the man out to be like the most evil guy yeah. ever. Right. And look at they him now. Basically. Yeah, they said that he, the Democrats said that he attached his dog to his roof of his car and like went cross country. They said, you know, he was, you know, he made some comments that probably weren't the best, but nothing close to what we have now. And now because, you know, Mitt Romney came out during the impeachment and voted for it. Yeah. Right. Which was the right thing to do. Now the left holds him up as a sovereign saint. Right. Golden child. You know, the thing is like, and then people on the right just kind of like see through that. And it's like, well, you know, yeah. I think this, I, I, I don't want to get to a two sides thing, but I do see the point that people in general, and especially in American politics, you have to sometimes think like, am I being fair to this person? Because I think the problem is in American politics has devolved into my team, his team, right? Yeah, yes. And yeah. it used to be politics in this country used to be especially I remember in the early nineties, right? You, you have shows where you could have the speaker of the house 
and the opposition person come on and they could have a rational conversation about what needs to be done in yep. the country and what the challenges our country faces. We don't have that anymore. No. Politics used to be about solving problems that we had. And to me, it's all about finding the solutions to the problems we have. We have a healthcare problem. We have millions of people. We all agree there's a healthcare problem. Right. They spend the so Democrats much time fighting their, about it, but there's so yeah. little movement. There's nothing yeah, changing. The Democrats have their solution 100%. I can understand why a lot of Republicans don't agree with their solution. But, but where what is the their solutions? Exactly. They haven't come up with one. Right? Exactly. So you need to develop one. You need to come out with some kind of solution. So I think the problem is we've moved way too into, well, you know, and, or the Democratic one is they want all these programs. But how are you going to pay for them? Right. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you pay for this? How do you pay for all that and still balance now? We're going to have to deal with the whole China-Russia thing. Right. Right. Because yeah. you're going to have to deal with that. So you're going to have to spend money on that. Right. So how, where do you find the money? So the thing is, and the Democrats, that's when both sides go now. So now they used to try to struggle with answering these questions. Now they don't even. Now they just all going to do a his team thing. Well, AOC so has a good answer on how to fund a lot of these different programs that the left wants to put uh, in place. And her answer is, and, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard had the same answer. Stop fighting all these wars. Well, the thing is like, <laughs> so the thing is like, it, I, so the thing is I understand. So military force and wars have to be, sometimes you have to fight, sometimes you don't. Sure. Right? But did we? So need, but the, do, do we need to have a twenty-year war going on in the Middle East now? Do we need that? Probably really? not. But yeah. the thing is, yeah. th that's in retrospect, right? Because the thing is, you're still going to need to spend money on defense because you're still, like I said, now you have a whole new challenge with Russia and China, which are major power challenges, which are going to be expensive to deal with, right? You. So the thing is, because you cannot not tell me now that Russia and China aren't a threat or they're not a challenge that we we're just going to let, let, let over on the side. Because again, back in 2012, Romney said, Russia's a problem. We need to deal with Russia. Wow. Obama said, Russia's a third rate power. What did Russia do? Russia came in, kicked us in the face and took our sandwich because they got involved in the election <laughs> and they got Donald Trump elected. It's almost ironic what Obama said now when it you is, look at it. Yeah. Right. And Mitt Romney was like, no, we have to deal with these wow. people. You may think they're a third-rate power, but they spend most of their money and their time on how are we going to screw over the Americans. Well, right? the thing is, the thing is, is I don't see that America, them. but I don't see that America is in a position to deal, to properly deal with China and, uh, and Russia, deal with them wholeheartedly, as long as we are spending so much money as we've spent in the last 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, I totally, agree. So we're gonna have to, it's not, it's not possible. Yeah. It's not possible. Yeah. So you, but you're going to have to, so we're going to have to find a solution to those problems, right? To, to Iraq. I mean, Iraq's basically where we're, we're more or less out of Iraq. Yeah. We still have yeah. some elements there. Yeah. Afghanistan, yeah. we have to figure out what the hell we're going to get out of there. That's still a problem. Yeah. But I still think, you know, obviously we have, we want to do the healthcare thing. We want to do the education thing. The Democrats are talking about, we have to obviously do the infrastructure thing. These are all things we have to do, right? Yeah. Uh, these are all things I think both both sides is right on that we have to deal with. But it's like now we have to say figure out, and we're going to have to tax people more. That's unfortunate. I don't like paying taxes, but you're also going to have to tax our friend Jeff Bezos and the rest of these. Billionaires. I was just going to say They're taxing the people, their, their fair taxing share, the right? people, and taxing corporate America are two different things. I don't believe the people need yeah. to be taxed more. Well, but I'd like to see the corporate 
Oh yeah, there you are. I'd like to yeah, see yeah, the yeah. corporate fat cats pay their fair share. I don't want to take their money, and I put that in air quotes. I don't want to take mm-hmm. their money, but I do want to see that they are taxed on their fair share, which they yeah. are not today. Oh, and yeah, also well, something I, I totally something yeah. so simple as I believe it was Bernie Sanders who came up with the idea of uh, imposing a transaction tax on Wall Street. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the transaction tax. I don't. Well, so the thing is, and this gets into like, I don't know about the transaction tax because the transaction tax might, um, I have to plug my phone in real quick. It might um, cause other problems, unintended consequences, right? Because every time you introduce taxes, it causes unintended consequences. So you have to look at whatever those consequences might be. Well, maybe the best but, time to do a transactional tax would be now. Though. I mean, the market is is jacked up already. But now you as want transactions in the market, though, because now you want it, you want the market. I mean, because if we were at the top of the market, transaction costs might make sense because people are going to trade anyways. But now it's like putting another incentive for people not to trade, right? Because now they're like, well, I don't. It's, the market's already bad. Maybe it shouldn't yeah. trade. And now I'm going to be paid. I have to pay extra to trade. So you're like slowing down trade. Well, you just heard why in, I don't in work in finance. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, the thing is, I, but no, I, I mean, I see that we're going to have to have some new taxes. We're yeah. going to have to yeah. redo the, the tax yeah. structure. Yeah. Businesses are going to have to pay more. But I think it's just in general, everyone's going to have to pay more because if you're looking at all the, pro- like the Bernie Sanders thing with the, the what he was proposing, like you start adding up the numbers of what they're proposing you've got to find that money from somewhere, yeah. right? Either you're going to have to scale back the programs or you're going to have to, or you're going to have to, to have them or, or think about having them in such a way that we can afford them, right? So I'm not saying that we give up on these ideas or these things, these challenges that we have, but we well, have, we have to, to have some new thinking. Manner. Yeah, we have to have yeah. some new thinking, but I don't think people, I don't think families that make less than, I don't know, $200,000 need to have more taxes. I think it's the people on the other side, on the higher end, that need to start well, paying true, their fair but, share. But, I mean, for given, again, given the programs that we're having, we're probably all going to have to, I mean, because again, it gets back to, well, if we don't want to pay more taxes, you know, because the thing is like, you know, the, the education for all, right? Well, let's say college education for all, right? I'm in support of that, but I don't like, again, I guess if, if you're making a certain dollar amount, if your family makes a certain dollar amount, you probably shouldn't qualify. Millionaires kids should not qualify. Right. Yeah. It just seems like it's simple enough to me. Right. Because that's a lot of money that we could be saving. So that's one thing. The other thing is, um, you know, is that obviously certain private colleges shouldn't be funded. We need to uh, how the universities spend their money because the universities spend a lot of their money on facilities and stuff, yeah. which is just a racket. Right. So they're not using those money. That money is not going to professors and teachers. Right. That money is going into buying. Hey, come on now. The Ohio gyms. State Buckeyes got to have a great stadium to win those yeah, championships. Exactly. In. exactly. <laughs> so, so the thing is, how is that money being utilized? How is yeah. that money being spent? Right. And yeah. the thing is, the states also need to chip in more. Right. We just can't have the federal government just piling up debt. Because the thing is, the, other, the thing is, that people don't realize is the states have continually cut what they're giving to education. Now, granted, some of that is because of what's happened in recent recessions and whatever, but, well, if the state doesn't re- restore the funding, well, then the federal government shouldn't be on the hook to come up with that funding, I right? See. So if the I states see. need to, you know, they need to manage their budgets more appropriately, 
um, they need to bring down, you know, because some of it is, is fluff. The, the universities have to run uh, dinner budgets. Yeah. And that doesn't mean cutting teachers' budgets. Maybe, you know, the university presidents shouldn't be paid like a half a million dollars a year. Maybe they should only be paid $250,000 a year, right? Yeah. Or $100,000 a year. So that money has to come from somewhere. And we need to reevaluate how we're doing our university system. Yeah. Because the other thing is we've also gotten addicted to the cheap info of students from China, right? Who right. have basically been funding our universities. So obviously that's going to go away once we move away from China. So how do we, how do we restructure all that? Well, I tell you, there's a lot of questions like that, that are just kind of hanging in the air and it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem that anyone is grabbing a hold and taking charge. I tell you the, the conversation we're having, it, I hope it's being had by people with a lot more, a lot more influence than you and I have, but it just seems like nothing is changing. Nothing is there's no movement. There's no movement. Yeah, because I think the problem is we're stuck in a game mentality. We're not stuck in it. With, I think our politics is not stuck in a we need to solve problems mentality. Mm. It's a stuck in a, oh, I got you. I got that one line there. Yep, like yep. you watch the debate. It's not a dialogue about the problems we oh, have no. and how we're going to solve them. It's one-liners it's and, like, one and gotchas. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like at one point I remember Kamala Harris said, oh, she's just going to do this. She's just going to get whatever. And Joe Biden's like, you just can't do that. Like, it's it's unconstitutional. Yeah. And her response was, well, Joe Biden, sometimes you just got to be, you kind of say not say no and just say yes, right? And it's like, <laughs> what kind of answer not, is that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what kind yeah. Of answer? That, that's, yeah. And the other thing is, I think if people forget, we, you know, we live in a democracy, right? And like I saw somebody the other day was like, well, you know, Somebody, this was Bernie Sanders supporter, was basically they made it, and this was a this was an article from Salon, which I know is left wing, but they said, you know, Bernie Sanders people and the far left need to demand these things from the Democratic Party. They need to get we need to get these demands right, and I'm like, democracy doesn't work like that. Democracy, because they're like, we need to stop with compromises. We need to get demands. I'm like, democracy is about dialogue and dialogue and compromise. Yeah. That, that's yeah, democracy. I, I, I mean, I, I, I know you don't like, I mean, I know people don't like it because you don't get everything yeah. you want. But, but that's the, what hey, it is. That's, democracy. that's what it is. Otherwise, you're because to be making demands and telling people what to do, that's called authoritarianism. Yeah. Right. That's a whole other system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, so, and that's a system supposedly that we're, we're against. And I think a lot of, a lot of, not a lot of Americans like realize like this system is about you know, dialogue and compromise. How can we work together to achieve the the best society that we can achieve versus, you know, you know, especially when we have a lot of problems that we have to deal with. Like, you know, we, may not, we might not have the best solution to these problems, but, but a halfway solution is better than us just letting these exactly. problems just keep on kicking it down the road because I want to score points against somebody else by saying, like, you yeah. guys are idiots. Well, I, hope, name. I hope people stop taking score. I hope they stop looking for the one-liners and the zingers and I gotcha and... I hope all that stuff stops and we start getting back to some, uh, let, let's go old school. Let's go back to the Cold War times <laughs> when, uh, when the parties had, when the parties were somewhat united in their, at least in their desire to have a better America for everybody. Now it just seems to yeah. be that one political side wants things better for their followers, for their base. And yeah. that's not, that's not America. 
that's not America. Yeah, that's not that's not America at all. And I, I think you know. So I mean, I can, we could definitely go on and on about this subject. Need, yeah, listen, man, we've uh, this has been a great podcast, but yeah. we've been talking for almost two hours and fifteen minutes. This is yeah. uh, this has been a long one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, listen, let's let's cut it short. I gotta I, I gotta yeah. run. <laughs> Um, yeah, same here. But I, I want to thank you for coming on, Jeff. And uh, I will uh, definitely uh, point people in the direction of your podcast. I think uh, I appreciate that. I've yeah. listened. I've listened to several episodes. It's real interesting stuff. If you're uh, a history buff, well, that's not true. Even if you if you if you're not a history buff, go and listen to Jeff's podcast because you will you'll, you'll you might find a new interest there. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks a lot for coming on, and uh, you have an open invitation. You're you're always welcome here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like we talked, we should have an episode about with myself and Salve sometime because uh, I think that would be an interesting conversation. We're gonna do that. Um, she's uh, I've never yeah. met her in person, but uh, but she she's extremely interesting, and I love her sense of humor as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, she's a very interesting person. Um, she has a very—I mean, that was the, one of the things I initially liked about her. Too. She has very, very interesting political views. Yeah, she has like this really interesting mixture of like California libertarian and like yeah. Yeah. Norwegian social democratic views that like meld together in this like interesting hodgepodge that I call Solveism. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I'll, I'll get you both on here for a, for a, a, a yeah for a three way conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Well, thanks a lot, okay. man. Take care of yourself. Okay. You okay. Too. I'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Okay, everybody. Uh, this turned into uh, something of a uh, political uh, political discussion. My, uh, but I, but I did get in what I wanted to get in, which was the interesting um, life that Jeff has had. He's yeah, he met a little bit of adversity there, and he kind of remade himself and kept his focus and made a life out there in California, and he's doing just fine. So, thank you all for coming and listening to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Bye, everybody. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm, yes, I am. Yes, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Yes, I am, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Lord, I'm coming home.